If I had learned anything about programming and personalities on the air by the 1930s, I think it was that you had to pull things in out of the blue sky. In other words, to hope and expect to find something somewhere without having it introduced to you formally. This year's flunked me at least once. If you don't watch it, you're gonna be spending all your time in McGee's office. Yeah, well, this year she's gonna wish she's never seen me. Oh, yeah? And what are you gonna do? I just ain't gonna take any of her crap, that's all. I don't take no crap from nobody. <laughs> Sonny? <laughs> Hello, ma'am. Aren't you supposed to be in homeroom right now? I was just going for a walk. You were just dawdling, weren't you? Yes, ma'am. That is no way to start a new semester, Mr. Lattieri. My name was Eunice Quidden. Perhaps a session of banging erasers. But I always hated the Eunice part of it. Then when I got to New York, I worked for Lee Schubert in the first Schubert Ziegfeld Follies that mm -hmm. Billy Burke produced after Ziegfeld had died. And... Lee Schubert said, we're going to put your name up on the marquee and we can't put quidens on there, it's too long. So that's when I came up with Arden. I was waiting to go in and see him and he'd kind of given me a deadline on a name and I was reading a book and the heroine was Eve and I had a package of Elizabeth Arden's cosmetics <laughs> in my hand and I tried it out on him, and he liked it, and that was it. Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode 106. My name is James Scully. Tonight on Breaking Walls, it's the summer of 1948. We'll join Eve Arden at Madison High School and find out why we all love our Miss Brooks. If this is your first time listening to Breaking Walls, welcome to the show. You can find this series on every podcasting platform and at thewallbreakers.com. Tonight's opening theme song? It's Harry James's version of It's Been a Long, Long Time featuring Kitty Callan on vocals. The song was a number one hit, just as World War II ended, and William Paley developed his package program initiative. Join the Breaking Walls Facebook group to keep in touch with news, snippets, photos, and other additions to the podcast at facebook.com slash groups slash thewallbreakers. and Burning Gotham, the new historical fiction audio drama set in 1835 New York City, is on its way. Go to burninggotham.com for new teasers and more information. You can also support these shows for as little as $1 per month at patreon.com slash thewallbreakers.
Hollywood, California, the makers of old gold cigarettes present the Comedy Theater. The only radio program that brings you every week the greatest stars in the greatest comedies. Tonight's play, The Milky Way, starring Robert Walker, Jimmy Gleason, Eve Arden, and Matt Pendleton. Eve Arden was born Eunice Quidens in Mill Valley, California on April 30th, 1908. Her mother, Lucille, was a milliner who divorced her father, Charles, and went into business for herself. Eunice was sent to a convent school in San Rafael before attending high school in Mill Valley. Here is the director of the Old Gold Comedy Theater, Mr. Harold Lloyd. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight's Old Gold Comedy Theater presentation is The Milky Way. That uh, naturally made us think of a lot of stars. So in selecting our cast for this evening, we picked not one star, but four. And uh, then our thoughts turned to prize fighters because the Milky Way is the story of two middleweight champions, one authentic and the other reluctant. And now, as the glaring lights beat mercilessly down upon the ring, we have in this corner, Bob Walker. Uh, you know, Bob, I'm looking forward to seeing you in the Metro-Golden-Mayer picture, The Clock, in which you co-star with Judy Garland. Uh, tonight, Bob, you play the part of... Uh, Burley Sullivan. I'm just a milkman who loves animals. I'm very happy at my work because I can talk to my horse. And uh, in this corner, we have Jimmy Gleason. I'm Gabby Sloan. I manage Speed McFarlane. I used to train horses. I was happy at end because you can talk to a horse. <laughs> and in this corner, we have... Eve Arden. I'm Ann Westley. I know my way around. Every chorus girl does. Right now, I'm Gabby Sloan's girl, but I'm thinking of making a change because he's so busy with his prize fighter, I don't even get time to talk to a horse. And last I had a great complex because I had an extremely beautiful mother who had been in the theater for just a short time. And I grew up thinking I was some kind of monster because people would say, isn't it too bad she doesn't look like her mother? Robert Walker, Jimmy Gleason, Eve Arden, and Matt Pendleton. I had a rather bad feeling about myself, and I couldn't stand to go and sit at rushes or go to premieres, you know. Don't steal any lines. Don't step on laughs. So, rather late in life, I'm beginning to see these pictures, occasionally on the late, late show. Mm. Of course, now, it's quite pleasant. I think, well, that gal isn't bad at all. <laughs> she looks rather lovely. Very convivial night. They're trying to do two things. Recall what happened the night before and... After graduating, she joined a stock theater company. They are failing miserably on both counts. And in 1929, made her film debut as a wise-cracking showgirl in Song of Love. Hello, boys. I got good news. Gabby will be here any minute. He just got back in town, phoned me from the station. Ann, you shouldn't bust in here like this. Why? It's not a stag party, is it? Hello, Ann. Hello, Speed. Oh, my, my. Who gave you the pretty shiners, if I didn't know? Don't worry, it's only in three papers. What three papers? The morning, the afternoon, and the evening. <laughs> Take a gander at this headline. Speed McFarland, world's middleweight champion, knocked out by a truck driver in a street brawl. What? Hey, they can't do that to me. Here, let me see that paper. Who was the girl? Huh? You heard me, the babe, the filly, the mouse. Well, you see... Shut up, shut up. 
What does it say in the papers? Well, it says in this one a guy named Bertie Sullivan knocked you for a loop. Never heard of him. Don't worry, you will. Says his sister May works at the Harvest Moon Cafe. He was waiting to take her home when you breeze along with the same idea. Well, where was you all this time? Seems by the newspaper account I was right there. Says here I made a pass at him and landed right on top of you. Aren't you boys getting too old to play in the streets? Oh, hello, boss. Sparty up fired. What? Again? Hello, Cappy. Shut up. In those early shows, were you a comedian? Were you a singer? Were you a dancer? You were everything. No, I, w- I was a comedian, uh-huh. and I did numbers and mm-hmm. sketches and things like that in reviews that were great fun and sang and danced. <laughs> Your first major screen role was in Stage Door. Well, that was the first one. That's the first one I did. Was your first picture? Mm hmm. Then I did Voice of the Turtle. Oh, well, you have a whole list. <laughs> <laughs> you I even worked. Possibly you, remember. You them. even worked with the Marx Brothers and uh, mm-hmm. at the circus, didn't you? Yeah, Day at the Circus. Right. It's practically the only picture that ever impressed our son. <laughs> Work with the Marx Brothers. That pulled me up a few notches. Probably will be. Four years later, Eunice relocated to New York, appearing in multiple stage productions before being cast in the Ziegfeld Follies Review. It was the first time she was billed as Eve Arden. Wait a minute, now how did you get from Mill Valley, California, to uh, the Ziegfeld Follies? I went to San Francisco first, Uh and I worked for the Henry Duffy Stock Company there, which was a marvelous kind of super stock, where you rehearsed four weeks, and played like eight to twelve weeks, depending on how popular Mm. the play was. It was great training. Then I joined the Bandbox Repertory Company, and there were just four of us in the company. And that meant a lot of long parts, because I played all the leads, and they were divided Mm. among four people. And uh, then from there, I did a review at the Pasadena Playhouse, and we took it into Hollywood, and that's where Mr. Schubert saw me and signed me for The Follies. So that got me to Mm. New York. (laughs) And uh, speaking of children brings me, of course, to that awful little girl who's become such a popular feature of our program. Here she is again with Hanley Stafford as her father, Baby Snooks. Unfortunately, Eve's mother passed away in 1936, the same year she made her radio debut opposite Fanny Bryce in the Ziegfeld Follies of the Air. Bryce played Baby Snooks. Arden played her mother. She was soon teaming with Ken Murray on his radio program sponsored by Campbell's Soups. By 1941, she'd appeared in 20 films, like as Sally Long and She Knew All the Answers, which Arden reprised on January 11, 1943, for the Lux Radio Theater. Gloria has been fired for starting a landslide in the stock market. But the ways of stocks are strained. Suddenly, without reason, the selling stops and the price begins to rise. Buy yucky oil. Buy yucky oil. Buy a thousand. Buy ten. Buy fifty. Buy yucky Buy ten thousand. Buy. Buy. The firm of Bradford, Wharton, Ogle, and Willow stands to make a fortune on the deal. But Gloria, at home with Kitty, knows only that she has been fired. 
And what did you say? I said, I'm only trying to be helpful, Mr. Willows. And then he said, we've had enough of your help. You're fired. Then what happened? I was fired. And all because of one silly little word. I don't get it. Look, it's all so simple. What is? Well, if they lost all their money being bears, why didn't they turn around and be bulls? Oh, Kitty, shut up. That's what got me fired. That must be Randy. Kitty, will you see how the dinner's coming along? Okay, but I still don't get You and uh, Lucille Ball kind of were typecast as the... Uh, the businesswoman kind of a role, or the, uh, Sometimes, the secretary, yes, secretary the and the uh, best friend of the heroine, yeah. who There's, never got the man. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, Ted Sennett wrote a book called Lunatics and Lovers, about those uh, screwball comedies mm-hmm. of the 30s and the 40s, and you were very evident in many of those. Oh, really? And, oh, I uh, seen oh that. you know mm-hmm. about I mean, you were evident in the screwball comedies. Oh, yes. And yes. He, he said that... Trying to describe the role that you played mm-hmm. in those films, you would uh, you would walk onto the screen, you would uh, dispense acid like wine to the fools you were obliged to tolerate, and then make a nice exit. And you know, I think that really did kind of uh, sum up your well, that, screen that role. Covered maybe a few of them, uh-huh. but I never thought I was so acid. You know, mm-hmm. and they and they called me brittle, which annoyed uh-huh. me because I was always really the, the gal with the good heart that saved the heroine and patched up all her uh-huh. troubles and took care of everybody. But I did make a flip remark now and then. Oh, I knew this. I knew you'd fall. You put a half Nelson on me. <laughs> now, what's going on? You worked with Danny Kaye, too, on Broadway, didn't you? Yes, I went back later and mm-hmm. did Let's Face It with Danny Kaye. <laughs> is the Danny Kay Show with Eve Arden, Lionel Stander, yours truly, Ken Niles, and the outstanding music of America's top band, Harry James and his music maker. On January 6, 1945, Arden joined the Danny Kay Show on CBS. At 23, Kay's star was just beginning to crest. The cast featured Harry James and Lionel Stander. The show's writers included Goodman Ace and Abe Burroughs. Ribbon, 33 fine brews blended into one great beer presents 33 fine talents blended into one great comedian, Danny Kaye. Come on, Danny. Danny Kaye, will you hurry up? Oh, just a minute, Evie. It's always just a minute with you. Come on. Oh, now wait. I must pause to greet an old friend. Ah, greetings, old friend. I know things are pretty tough now, old pal. Yes, once you were popular in the money, but now you're broke, desolate, deserted, alone. But don't worry, old pal. You'll make a comeback someday. Danny, do you have to go through that act every time you pass a cigarette machine? <laughs> but, Evie, they worry me. Standing around doing nothing, I-, I wonder if they could put bananas in them. You worry about everything but the things you should. Now, sit down here and read your radio fan mail. It's got to be answered. Oh, boy, fan mail? You mean I really got fan mail? That's what I've been trying to tell you all day. Gosh. How many letters did I get? Think of a number. One. Bingo. Now read it. (laughs) Gosh, my first fan letter. I feel like a bride. (laughs) Well, brush the orange blossoms out of your eyes and read it. Okay. It says, uh... Big money in Belgian hares. 
put a couple of our giant Belgians in your backyard and they'll soon be paying the rent for you. Send for our free booklet, Splitting Hairs. <laughs> Just what I thought, Evie. The only people listening to me last week were rabbits. Well, it's the start. Oh, hello, Lionel. Hi, Lionel. Look what I got for you, Danny. A whole bushel basket full of letters. Ain't it wonderful? For me, Lionel? No kidding? Yeah. This is definite evidence and testimony that the American public have taken their collective pens in hand and inscribed their felicitations and congratulations for posterity. Sick transit, Gloria de Haven. <laughs> Ooh, all this mail. Let's see what they say. Here's one from Tootsie Smith of Evansville, Indiana. Blue Ribbon Program. Please send me photographs of Harry James and Ken Niles. They are my dream men. <laughs> Danny Kay is kind of cute, too, so have him lick the envelope. <laughs> well. Say, Danny, here's one I think you better read yourself. Okay, let's see it. Says, um, uh, dear Danny Kay, I heard your show last Saturday night and I laughed and laughed and laughed. Gee, that's swell. I laugh all the time. <laughs> I guess I'll never get out of this place. <laughs> hey, hey. Well, Harry James. Come on in, Harry. Hello, oh, hello, Harry. hello, hello, everybody. Pull up a trumpet and sit down, Harry. I was just looking over my fan mail from the first show. Say, did you get any letters, Harry? Yeah, yeah, I got one, but I feel kind of silly reading it. Oh, go on, read it, Harry. Well, okay. Dear Maestro, besides being a fine musician, you are a great personality. You have the charm of a boyer and the appeal of a Van Johnson. Sincerely, B.G. <laughs> B.G.? B.G., could that possibly be Betty Grable? Well, it ain't Benny Goodman, brother. <laughs> Say, Harry, here's a legitimate fan letter for you. It asks for you, the boys, and Kitty Callan to do the new Columbia-recorded arrangement of I'm Beginning to See the Light. CBS initially broadcast the series on Saturday nights at 8 p.m., it was radio's lowest-rated evening, but roughly 9 million people still heard the broadcast. However, in April, with ratings dipping, CBS moved the show to Friday evenings. It didn't help. Eve Arden left the program after June 1, 1945. By then, she'd caught the attention of NBC producers, who needed a new co-star for Jack Haley on the Seal Test Village store. Haley was perhaps most famous for playing the role of the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz. I was doing, uh, I believe it was Wonder Bread. No, Continental, Continental Bakery, Bakery, yeah. Uh -huh. I was doing that at that time. I'd worked for National Dairy. I had a show for them a couple of years. Was that Seal Test? Yes, Seal Test. Uh -huh. We had quite good ratings, you know. Uh -huh. The easiest job in the uh -huh. world was radio. You took a piece of paper and read it for a half hour which wasn't a totally a half hour because there were commercials in mm. between. That was the easiest, it was like stealing money. <laughs> the show had reached the height of its popularity with Joan Davis as the female lead, peaking in 1945 with a rating of 21.5. When the season ended, 
Davis left NBC to go solo on CBS. Gene Carroll was brought in for the summer, but NBC wanted a permanent co-star. Eve Arden was busy playing opposite Joan Crawford and Mildred Pierce. Mildred Pierce was one of your finest yes. screen appearances. Well, so they tell me. I was so amazed because you make a picture, or you did in those days, and if you're not the lead, you work, say, maybe two weeks in a row. Mm. And then I used to go to Palm Springs for two or three weeks during the making of the picture, which I was distressed the cameraman because I came back eight shades darker. <laughs> then you'd work a week or two more or two days. And so you had really very little concept mm. of what you had done in the picture. And I could never bear to see them after. It destroyed me, I, so I gave it up. But then I read in the paper that I'd been nominated for an Oscar in that one. Mm -hmm. And so I felt I had to go and see what the heck I had done. <laughs> and uh, I went, and the theater was very crowded. And I sat in the second row down front. There were no other seats. And after 10 minutes, I left. So I never saw it again until it was on TV as an old picture. Welcome home, Mrs. Pierce. Thank you, Jean. Hi, Ida. Well, well, long time no see. How are you? How was Mexico? Crowded. How's business? Crowded. Want your desk back? No, thanks. On you, it looks good. You know, I like Mexico. It's so Mexican. Thanks. Here. You're in great shape. Nothing like a nice long rest, is there? Got a drink handy? Yeah, I guess so. Hey, Jean, crack open the safe and get out some of that good bourbon. You never used to drink during the day. Never used to drink at all. It's just a little habit I picked up from men. Oh, men. I never yet met one of them who didn't have the instincts of a heel. Sometimes I wish I could get along without them. You've never been married, have you, Ida? No, when men get around me, they get allergic to wedding rings. You know, big sister type. Good old Ida. You can talk it over with her man to man. Getting awfully tired of men talking to me man to man. I think I'll have a drink myself. I'll take mine straight. Well, if you can take it, I can. The National Broadcasting Company signed Arden, and on September 27, 1945, she debuted on the Seal Test Village store. I wondered how long it would take you to get around to that. Jackson old smoothie, Jackson old softy. The Seal Test Milk and Ice Cream Divisions of National Dairy present Jack Haley in the Seal Test Village Store with manager Eve Arden, our singing star Bob Stanton, and our guest tonight Vincent Price, and starring Jack Haley. There comes a time in every businessman's life when he feels that he should turn to something more important. Jack Haley is no exception. He has turned to the study of music. And as we look in on the Seal Test Village store, we find him telling Eve Arden all about it. So you're going to study music, hmm, Jack? Yes, I am, Eve. I'm going over to Nelson's Easy Lesson Music School and take my first lesson on the ukulele. The ukulele? Well, why a passe instrument like the ukulele? Well, because of a frustration I had when I was in college. In those days, all the fellows played the ukulele except me. My mother made me study the trombone. Well, what's wrong with the trombone? Well, it's not a very romantic instrument. 
The other guys would take their girls out in a canoe, sit opposite them, and play the ukulele. I couldn't do that with a trombone. <laughs> My girl took an awful beating. Oh, well, I, I know what that poor girl went through. Oh, you don't know. I You're used to go out with a guy who played the tuba. He used to take me canoeing on the lake and serenade me with the tuba. Serenade you with a tuba? How did it sound? I wouldn't know. Every time he hit a high note, he blew me out of the boat. <laughs> I'm going over to Nelson soon to start my ukulele lessons. I want you to come along, Eve, and... Oh, look who just came in. Virginia Martin. You know, Eve, I think she kind of likes me. Oh, don't be a fool, Jack. That stage-struck dame is making a fuss over you only because she thinks you can help her with her career. Hello, Mr. Haley. Hello, Miss Martin. Hello, Mrs. Arden. Now, wait a minute. How many times do I have to tell you it's Miss, not Mrs.? I'm not married. How come you've never been married? Well, it's just a matter of supply and demand. <laughs> What I'm supplied with, there's no demand for. I'm sorry, Virginia, but you'll have to excuse us. Uh, Eve and I were just leaving for Nelson's music school. You see, I'm going to learn to play the ukulele. Unfortunately, ratings for Steel Test dropped to 16.9, reflecting the loss of Davis. Meanwhile, Arden was busy appearing in three high-budget films. Danny Kaye's The Kid from Brooklyn, Barbara Stanwyck's My Reputation, and Cary Grant's Night and Day. In the fall of 1946, the village store's rating dropped again to 12.3. Jack Haley left the next July, and Jack Carson arrived. But head of CBS William Paley had returned from World War II. He was disappointed in the state of his network. Although Columbia had built an impressive news division, 12 of the top 15 rated shows on the air belonged to NBC. William Paley had a plan. It would become known as the Package Program Initiative. We return you now to New York. Thank you, Hollywood. Gentlemen, Mr. Stanton. Doesn't it sound good to hear those voices on our network lines and to know they'll be there every Sunday? But it wasn't easy to do this. For that matter, there is much still to be done, and that's what I would like to talk about. When William Paley returned to CBS after World War II, he reorganized the network structure. He named himself chairman of the board, and Frank Stanton the president. Prior to the end of World War II, advertising agencies controlled the radio network schedule by pitching programs for their sponsors. But Paley felt the only way CBS could compete with NBC was to develop their own shows. With Frank Stanton as president, Paley could focus on bringing new programs to the air. It was a huge gamble. CBS would have to sustain production costs for several shows until sponsors became interested. The Columbia Broadcasting System presents a new comedy. My Friend Irma. Starring Marie Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane with John Brown as Al. Friendship, friendship, just a perfect friendship when other friendships have been forgotten. Theirs will still be hot, love, love, love. Sure, it's something to sing about. And they can sing about it maybe because they haven't any friends. But I'm singing the blues about it because I've got a friend. My friend Irma. Now, don't get me wrong. 
I love that girl. Most people do. It's just that Mother Nature gave some girls brains, intelligence, cleverness. But with Irma, well, Mother Nature slipped her a Mickey. I will never forget the first time I met her. By the end of 1947, CBS had put 36 new programs on the air, including The Bill Goodwin Show, Wendy Warren and the News, Strike It Rich, Escape, The Adventures of Christopher Wells, Joan Davis Time, and My Friend Irma. Excuse me until... Oh, excuse me. I just never look where I'm going. I just keep walking with my head high. Just like the doctor told me in taking deep breaths, inhaling and exhaling like this. I keep counting to myself. One, two, three. Look, miss, will you stop counting long enough to help me up? Oh, of course. You must be uncomfortable on your knees. Oh. (laughs) Oh, no, not at all, honey. I'd love it down here if I was Al Jolson. The network also established a documentary unit to focus on the subjects most affecting Americans. And TV was about to become a factor. That year, Paley got a $20 million loan from the Equitable Assurance Society so that CBS would have the resources to move fully into the new medium. We had it all picked out, only you know what happened? It wouldn't fit your nose. In February of 1948, Paley's new female-centric comedy, My Friend Irma, had a rating of 28.3. After the 1947-48 season, both Eve Arden and Jack Carson left the Seal Test Village store. Her interest in radio was at a low ebb, but Paley wanted two new female-driven situation comedies in his lineup in time for summer. You moved from films with ease into radio. You worked with Ken Murray for a while. Yes. Jack Haley. I did those things uh-huh. when I was working in the theater in New York, and then I came out on the coast with another one of those, I did a show with Danny Kaye on radio, and then finally along came Miss Brooks. I'm tired of having an aching back I'm gonna move to a little green shack on easy street I don't understand this business and I never will My first guest is a lovely... Is Shirley Booth my first guest, actually? Oh, okay. Then, uh, she is one of the... Certainly one of the best-loved actresses in America. Miss Shirley Booth, right here. I don't know how to break this to you, Shirley, but we're sitting in the wrong chairs. Well, uh, move over. I love it. We'll what, play musical see, chairs. I, I, well, see, I thought I would cover for you oh, because I you see. sat in the wrong chair and oh, I didn't want you to be embarrassed. Okay. Next thing I know, you'll start coming as here. As long as the... you'll let me stay. Oh, that's all right. I came here last night. You know. <laughs> I know. Me I feel away. terrible about that. What ha- you got the wrong day and the wrong... Well, they called what? me up at the Cape and they told me to come on Tuesday and I thought it's got, I'm rehearsing, so it's a little bit difficult because I 
When you're in the throes of a character, you know, you don't make very much sense. Mm -hmm. Not that I make very much sense on these sort of things anyway. We bring you the new comedy show, Our Miss Brooks, starring Shirley Booth. You know, it's a funny thing. I'm always careful about standing in a dress. But no matter how careful I am, I always get a pain in the neck teaching English, too. Our Miss Brooks. Have you met her yet? Maybe you think a schoolteacher's life is dull. On April 9th, 1948, Shirley Booth recorded an audition for a new sitcom based on the misadventures of a high school English teacher. When she's dreaming. It was first to be titled Meet Miss Brooks, then Our Miss Booth. Shirley Booth felt the script was weak. She backed out, leaving the show's future up in the air. It came about rather strangely. I was in New York doing some publicity for the studio. On the way back, I stopped in Chicago and stayed at the Ambassador Hotel with some friends. Having dinner one night, I was introduced to William Paley. And he asked me to dance, and he loved to dance, and so did I. So we kind of hit it off very well. And I think that was the beginning, because about a week later, I was called by CBS and asked to make a record for Armist Brooks. And I wasn't very interested in doing it. And I read the first script, and I said, I really don't think that this is funny enough and that I really want to do it. And Harry Ackerman, who was the producer, said, we have two new writers we're putting on it this week, and if you'll have dinner with me in another week, I think you'll find it much improved. And I did. But then I said, I'm taking my children to New York for the summer, and if you'll make the 13, it was to go on as a summer replacement. Mm Mm-hmm. If you'll make the 13 before we go, that'll be fine. So I did. The writers CBS brought in were Arthur Alsberg, Joe Quillen, and Al Lewis, who would also direct. I was living out here, and a man named Larry Burns, he was assigned to do the show out here as a comedy. And he got Eve Arden and me about the same time. I met Eve and talked to her, and then I did a show for them to put on in the summer, sustaining at the time. I was a writer-director. We did a few shows, and, you know, people liked it. And then we got a sponsor. Larry Burns would produce, and Wilbur Hatch conducted the music. Bob Lamond announced. A new audition was recorded on June 23rd. Um, do you know whose idea it was to begin with? It sounds like it, it almost sounds like it generated out of a committee or some sort. Well, it almost did. It was yet one young man had the nucleus of the idea, but not evidently was not able to, to write it well enough. And so they let him keep a certain percentage of it, which I imagine amazed him after mm. a certain amount of time. And we had a writer named Joe Quillen, who Mm -hmm. was the brother of the other, Eddie Quillen, and a remarkable writer. And Al Lewis, who was also the head writer. Yeah, he became the head writer. Yes. He knew when to say, look, that's going too far, or Miss Brooks would never say that. And Joe just had a fabulous imagination. 
but it was very, very hard to cut his script because you'd say, well, we're five minutes over. We've got to cut. And here's a line that doesn't mean anything. We'll cut that. And then when you got way down to page six, you found the payoff for that line, and you had to go back and put it in because mm. it was terribly funny. Sure. He was a marvelous young man. Less than a month later, on Monday, July 19, 1948, our Miss Brooks debuted as a summer fill-in for the Lux Radio Theater. Four days later, Lucille Ball debuted in My Favorite Husband. CBS presents Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Our Miss Brooks is a school teacher. To be specific, she teaches English at Madison High. Connie Brooks is pretty enthusiastic about her work, too. In fact, in her own words. Although teaching isn't the most profitable career in the world, you must admit the hours are appalling. But there's always my secret heartthrob, Mr. Boynton. He's the biology teacher at school. And a sweeter, more intelligent scientist never brushed off an English teacher to play footsie with a frog. But he'll come around... Even a biology teacher must sooner or later get a little biological. <laughs> Meanwhile, I can dream, can't I? Yes, Connie Brooks can dream. Even now, she's in the middle of the sweetest dream of them all. The one that comes right before 7 a.m. Hold me closer, Mr. Boynton. There. Now kiss me. Oh... How does that make you feel? That's what it does to me, too. I'll shut it off. Miss Brooks, you'll be late. Kiss me again, Mr. Boynton. Miss Brooks, you have to go to school. For this, I don't have to go to school. Oh. Oh. Good oh. morning. Well, if it isn't my favorite landlady. Oh, good morning, Mrs. Davis. What in the world were you dreaming about? Oh, nothing much. Just the school. I was giving an English lesson. Well, from the way your lips were puckered, I thought you were taking a bugle lesson. <laughs> Better get up, dear. Today's the day you're supposed to find out about that new job as head of the English department from your new principal. Oh, that's right, Mrs. Davis. For three years I've been waiting for that job. Three years of scrimping and scraping to get along. Now it's all going to be different. With this raise, I'll be able to run down to Miami once in a while, and after I've had the job a while, I might even go abroad. Paris, the Riviera, Biarritz in the spring, the casino at Monte Carlo. Just how much more money does this new job pay, Miss Brooks? Six dollars a month. <laughs> you better watch your step at Monte Carlo. Money goes pretty fast down there. Money goes fast anywhere. I haven't been able to catch any for years. Now hurry and get dressed, dear. I have a lovely surprise for your breakfast. Another one of your surprise recipes, Mrs. Davis? I hope it's not clam fritters again. <laughs> you see, dear. Come along. Here you are, dear. Here's your surprise. Armenian pancakes. They've been setting for five days. What else could they do? I mean in goat's milk. 
It takes five days for it to get good and sour. Sour? Goat's milk? Here, try a bite off this fork. Don't pay any attention to the smell. Oh, please, Mrs. Davis, no. Well, just one bite. <laughs> Tell the truth now. Aren't they delicious? I don't want to hurt your feelings, Mrs. Davis. But if I were the goat responsible for this concoction, I would hang myself by my own beard. <laughs> if you don't mind, I'll have to pass up the pancakes. But, Miss Brooks, it's a crime to throw out these pancakes. What's the crime? Carrying concealed weapons? <laughs> You've got to have some breakfast. Could I squeeze you a persimmon or two? <laughs> no, thanks. I'll grab a kumquat on my way to work. <laughs> It's funny Walter Denton isn't here yet He knows I wanted to get to school a little early this morning And meet the new principal Rather convenient to have one of your pupils drive you around Yes, my Chevy's still in the shop I had a little accident Saturday I ran into a parked car Oh, that's too bad I hope you reported it to the police I didn't have to They were sitting in the car Oh, <laughs> uh, that's good I'll get it Oh, Miss Brooks. Come in, Walter. Well, Walter Denton, how you've shot up since I saw you last. You saw me yesterday, Mrs. Uh, Davis. My, how time flies. <laughs> Come on, Walter. I've got to get down early. The new principal takes over today. What's his name, dear? Uh, Mr. Conklin. Osgood Conklin. Osgood Conklin? Why, I've known him for years. We went to school together. Really, Mrs. Davis? What kind of a man is he, anyway? Well, the other children used to call him Stoneface because he never laughed. Oh, fine. Well, I shouldn't say never. I did hand him a laugh one time when we were out ice skating. He was practically in hysterics. What happened? I broke my leg. <laughs> he sounds about as friendly as a subpoena. <laughs> I'll correct any nonsense of this new school, Martha, or my name isn't Osgood Conklin. I've heard all about their lack of principle and discipline, and I won't have it. Do you hear? No one is going to interfere with my making Madison High a well-run school. No one. If anyone gets in my way, I'll crush them, step on them like so many ants, squash them. That's nice. Pass the marmalade, dear. And help yourself to some more toast. I hate toast. As I was saying, Martha, I'm sure that the faculty at Madison High is totally incompetent. Oh, please, Osgood, you mustn't let it irk you. Irk? Irk? Uh, drink a little water, dear. It'll go away. <laughs> no understanding. No cooperation. Nobody knows what a difficult job I'm faced with. It's awful. Awful! Please, Osgood, can't you talk without barking? Honestly, sometimes I think Prince is the only one who can really understand you. Prince? Don't mention that lazy mutt to me. Look at him over there. Dead to the world. Well, it's getting late. Now, where's my hat? Confound it, where's my hat? Please, dear, don't bark. I'm not barking, Martha. Once and for all, I don't bark. See? He does understand you. Now, be sure to drive carefully on your way to school. Oh, don't tell me how to drive the car. I'm not, dear. It's just that after all the work you put in, polishing it on Sunday, I'd hate to see that Stop you... worrying. I did the work, didn't I? Ah, look at her out there. Nothing takes a wax polish like a black touring car. Well, Osgood, you'd better get started. You don't want to set a bad example for your new teacher. I'll show them a thing or two. I'll show them. Oh, shut up, Prince. Goodbye, Martha. <laughs> 
When they were giving her a first name, I had just adopted a little girl and named her Connie. So I said, how about Connie Brooks? And that's mm -hmm. what it came. Before we get to school, Miss Brooks, there's something I'd like to talk to you about. It's a girl. Naturally. Who is it this time, Walter? Well, she's the baker's daughter, Penelope Miller. When I kissed her for the first time the other night, I knew she was different. But, Walter, you've kissed a lot of girls. What's so different about Penelope Miller? She tastes like caraway seeds. <laughs> oh, grand. She's probably built like a pumpernickel. Now, look, Walter, I've got a lot on my mind today, what with trying to make a good impression on the new principal. Well, all I want you to do is help me write her a letter, Miss Brooks. You see, she doesn't think that I'm mental enough. I can't understand it. And I figured, well, you being an English teacher, as well as a woman, well, you'd know how to make her think I was brainy. You know, intelligent. I hate to trade on just my sheer animal magnetism. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, you are a little beastly in spots, Walter. <laughs> Don't blame yourself. Penelope just doesn't appreciate yet that a man is a thing to be treasured. When will she appreciate it? When she gets to be my age. Oh, I couldn't wait that long, Miss Brooks. What? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Miss Brooks. I guess I'm not very mental at that, but you will help me out, won't you? I'll come over to Mrs. Davis's tonight and we'll write a letter together. What do you say? Well, I don't know, Walter. I... Walter, look out! That car! What car? That big black touring car! Big black touring car? <laughs> oh, Walter! not quite as big as it was. <laughs> you young idiot! Why don't you watch where you... My fenders, my shining fenders lying in the gutter. Walter, put the man's fenders back on. <laughs> oh, gee, mister, I didn't you mean You didn't to... mean? Why didn't you look where you were going? Well, gosh, it takes two to make an accident. A brilliant observation. <laughs> but it just happens that I was only going 15 miles an hour. You should have been going 30. We'd have missed you by a block. Now, see here, you red-haired joyrider. It was probably your fault. My fault? Why don't you learn how to drive that hopped-up hearse of yours? Hopped-up hearse? Now, listen here, young woman. I've tried to control my temper, but if you want to play rough, I can get plenty rough. Walter, I've got to run along. I'll leave you to straighten out barking boy. Barking boy? That's the second time today I've been accused of barking. Young woman, I'll have you know I do not bark. <laughs> Who's your friend? Go home, Prince! <laughs> well, classes haven't started yet. Let me see. Pick up my mail first, and then... Oh, hello, Mr. Boynton. Hello, Miss Brooks. Isn't it a coincidence that we're in the same mailbox? Not an overwhelming coincidence. You see, your last name begins with the same letter mine does. Well, that's a start. <laughs> you have such a quick mind, Mr. Boynton. Well, it is thorough. Personally, I think you tax it too much. Don't you think you need more recreation, if you know what I mean? Well, carrying on my biology experiments is recreation enough. You don't know what I mean. <laughs> of course, I also collect stamps. Oh, that sounds exciting. There's no end to the possibilities. Have you ever tried your hand at beadwork? Well, no, I don't believe I have. Is it fun? Fun? Why, it makes you just tingle all over. <laughs> <laughs> we, 
We must string a few together sometime. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and basket weaving can be thrilling, too. Oh, really? Yes, if we're both in the same basket. <laughs> well, so much for the world of sports. <laughs> uh, Miss Brooks, if you don't mind my changing the subject, are you going to be busy tonight? Busy? Me? Mr. Boynton, I couldn't be unbusier. Well, I'd, I'd like to come over after dinner, that is, if we can be alone. Alone? We'll be absolutely isolated. <laughs> I hope you don't think I'm too forward, Mr. Boynton, but I've anticipated this moment for quite a while. Remember the day about five years ago when I first came to Madison High, rounded a turn in the corridor and bumped smack into you? Oh, yes, I was teaching chemistry then. You put quite a dent in my Bunsen burner. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that was the day I first suspected that we'd be more to each other than just fellow faculty members. And when were your suspicions confirmed, Miss Brooks? On our very next date, when you took me to lunch, two years later. <laughs> Gad, you were a fast worker. I don't blame you for kidding me, Miss Brooks. I guess I'm not much of a whirlwind romantically, and most scientific people aren't. You see... The study of evolution alone tends to slow down any of the mere intemperate reflexes. Mm -hmm. You must realize that a tremendous period of time was involved before the single cell divided itself in the sea and adapted itself to the land and the air. Mm -hmm. Countless centuries passed before lower forms of life assumed their new shapes, and generations before the mammal family produced the ape family and before the ape family produced the human family. What have you been waiting for me to do, slip back a notch? <laughs> Well, uh, what time do you think you'll be able to come over tonight, Mr. Uh, Boynton? Ah, Mr. Boynton, Miss Brooks, let us not tarry. Your new principal, Mr. Conklin, is due at any moment. Oh, we'll be sorry to see you go, Mr. Darwell. Yes, you've been a wonderful principal, Mr. Darwell. Why did the Board of Education decide to have you transferred? Ours not to reason why. Ours but to teach and die. <laughs> As the great Socrates so aptly phrased it, if you've got to go, you've got to go. <laughs> Of course, I am genuinely sorry to leave old Madison High, but then we're teachers, and teachers can't afford sentiment. We can't afford anything. As the great Professor Einstein so aptly phrased it, murder, ain't it? <laughs> you know, I still hope I can land that job as head of the English department, though. Well, that will depend upon the impression you make on Mr. Conklin. I'm taking him on a tour of inspection as soon as he arrives, Miss Brooks. Your class will be the first one visited. Oh, the first class visited? Oh, gosh, Mr. Boynton, if I'm to impress Conklin, I'll have to hurry and get things in order i better go in and erase the children and see that the blackboards aren't throwing spitballs. Poor Miss Brooks, you're a bundle of nerves. You, you look sort of faint. Here, I'll put my arms around you until you steady yourself. Oh, no, you won't, Mr. Boynton. Just because you happen to catch me at a weak moment, I'm not letting you put your arms around me. My father told me about men like you. Then why are you putting your arms around me? My mother told me about men like you, too. <laughs> Joseph Forte played Osgood Conklin in the first two episodes. Noreen Gamble was Mrs. Conklin. Jane Morgan played Mrs. Davis, while Jeff Chandler was Philip Boynton, Dick Crenna was Walter Denton, and Gloria McMillan was Harriet Conklin. Please let me have your attention. Uh, as many of you know, our, our new principal, Mr. Osgood Conklin, takes over his duties today. So, if he should drop in here at any time, there's no reason for any of us to be nervous, self-conscious, or head of the English department. I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, we'll just go on in our normal manner. Now, to take up where we left off yesterday... Uh, pardon me, Miss Brooks, but Mr. Conklin and I just happened to be passing by... And oh, why, come right in, Mr. Darwell. Uh, this way, Mr. Conklin. Thank you. Mr. Conklin, this is our Miss Brooks. How do you do, Miss Brooks? Glad to make your... Wait a minute. 
Oh, thanks, Mr. Conklin. Glad to make your acquaintance too. Oh, you two have met? We sort of ran into each other this morning. Ah, well, this is the young lady in the accident I told you about. I, oh, oh, well, uh, Mr. Conklin, I have an idea. Why don't we skip English and drop in on the... Now that I know just who Miss Brooks is, I'm particularly interested in watching her conduct her class. Go right on, Miss Brooks. Well, all right, Mr. Conklin. Uh, <clears throat> now, class, I'm going to read some lines to you, which I'd like you to... I mean, that I'd like you to... Uh, well, I want you to tell me whom... No, who? Uh, I'd, uh, I'd like the name of the author of the following stuff. <laughs> Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury Conklin, not to praise him. <laughs> uh, that is, to bury Caesar. Hand, please. No hands? You've all got them, you know. <laughs> Just look at the ends of your sleeves. <laughs> Oh, oh, there's a hand. Winona. I can always depend on Winona. Who wrote those lines, Winona? I don't know. I just want to leave the room. <laughs> Never mind the blindfold, Captain. Just give me a cigarette. <laughs> Come in, Miss Brooks. How is everything? Well, frankly, Mr. Boynton, I'm a little tired. I just lost two out of three falls to Mr. Conklin. Oh, you've met the new principal, eh? What's he like? He looks like he was weaned on a vinegar popsicle. <laughs> Mr. Boynton, I just dropped by to see what time you're coming over tonight. Tonight? Yes, one of my students is stopping by for a few minutes. I've, I've promised to write an intellectual letter for him to a girlfriend he's trying to impress, Penelope Miller. Penelope Miller. Yes, she tastes like caraway seeds. <coughs> if you could just let me know what time you're coming over. Well, uh, I'm not sure about tonight at all right now. I, I'm quite worried about Violet. Violet? Yes, the, the white mouse I use in some of my experiments. Steady, Violet, dear. Steady, dear. I, I'm just going to hold you for a minute. Mr. Boynton, if you could You know, just... I, I don't like the feel of her stomach. Mr. Boynton... It's lumpy. Well, Mr. Boynton, you told me this morning... Oh, frankly, Miss Brooks, at that time, I didn't know about Violet's condition. You, you understand, I have to... I know, you have to sit up with a lumpy mouse. <laughs> well, she's terribly peaked lately. I don't know what it is. I think i better have a look at her cage. Hold a minute, will you? Here. Ah! Miss Brooks, you dropped Violet! She attacked me! Miss Brooks! Ah! Hey, Miss Brooks, get down off that desk! I can't! Oh, I see her. She's under that desk! Well, I'll get her. I'll get her if you just stop that screaming. And, and let go of your skirts. And this, Mr. Conklin, is our biology laboratory. <laughs> Why, Miss Brooks, what are you doing on that desk? And where is Mr. Boynton? He's under the table with Violet. <laughs> with Violet? So that's what goes on in the biology laboratory of Madison High. Oh, but Mr. Conklin, I'm sure... So Mr. am I very sure. Come, Mr. Darwell. I'll be back when Violet is out from under the table. Oh, no. Oh, I've got her, Miss Brooks. Poor thing was scared to death. Here, and look at her. Isn't she sweet? Isn't Violet a beauty? She's ravishing. And may I tell you something else, Mr. Boynton? What's that? You make a lovely couple.
Hello, principal's office. Osgood Conklin speaking. Who's calling, please? Mrs. Davis. Margaret Davis? Oh, yes, the girl I used to go ice skating with. <laughs> How's your leg? What's that? <laughs> you want me to come over to dinner? Well, I'm afraid I... <laughs> you uh, say there's a teacher living with you that you want me to meet, a Miss Brooks. Well, I'd like... Miss Brooks! Now, look here, Margaret. I've already met that red-haired... Mr. Conklin... Hold the phone, Margaret. Uh, yes? I'm Matilda Denton of the school board. I have reason to suspect that my boy, Walter, a pupil at this institution, has fallen into the clutches of one of your female teachers. What? Yes. He told me that he had a date with the woman tonight at her home. Uh -huh. And here, this note fell out of his pocket when he came home from school. Let me read that, please. <clears throat> at last, I've got what I want. Red hair and a tough, sturdy body. <laughs> Red hair? Good heavens! Well, Mr. Conklin, have you any idea who this nefarious woman might be? Yes, I have, Mrs. Denton. Pardon me. Hello, are you still there, Mrs. Davis? No. No, I haven't been to a Turkish bath. Now, listen. I have reconsidered. I shall be delighted to dine this evening with you and, uh, uh, Miss Brooks. Mr. Conklin, I'll give you just 24 hours to find out who my boy is traipsing around with. Listen, Mrs. Denton. Listen, Mrs. Davis. You'll get to the bottom of this matter quickly, or there'll be a new principal here at Madison Hall. Quiet, both of you! Don't you bark at me! I'm not barking! Thanks, go home! <laughs> Good. How did you like your dinner? Very interesting, Mrs. Davis. I've never tasted this kind of meat before. Just what is it? It's our usual Monday night supper. Seal burgers. <laughs> I'll take these dishes into the kitchen and see about the coffee. I make Bulgarian coffee, you know. It's strained through a grapefruit rind. <laughs> now then, Miss Brooks, let's get right to the point, huh? What would you think of a teacher who would allow a student to become infatuated with her and then lead him on? I think she was pretty terrible, Mr. Conklin. Who's the teacher? Well, we haven't any positive proof, but the boy's name is Walter Denton. Well, I think they both ought to be arrested. Walter Denton? Yes, Miss Brooks. You can't deny that you were in the car with young Denton this morning. But he was just giving me a lift until my car is fixed. I never see the boy at any other time. Are you sure about that, Miss Brooks? Oh, I'm positive, Mr. Conklin. Must be my laundry. <laughs> Your laundry at 8 p.m.? I deal with the owl laundry. They only come out at night. <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Conklin. I'll be back in a minute. All right, Miss Brooks. Hi, Miss Brooks. I keep you waiting? Yes, but not long enough. Look, Walter, would you come back some other time? Come on, let's get into the living room. No, over. Walter, no. I'm anxious to get that letter started. Oh, not so loud, Walter. Mr. Conklin is in the dining room. Oh, the new principal? Yes, and if he finds you here tonight, we'll both oh, be no, out. Oh, no, good. We'll have our coffee in the living room. Hi, Margaret. Quick, Walter, hide. Get behind those curtains behind the window. Oh, yeah, but... I'll I... explain later. Get in back of them. <laughs> Who was it that rang, dear? Oh, it was just a wrong number, Mrs. Davis. On the doorbell? I mean, the wrong house number. You seem quite nervous, dear. Oh, I'm all right. Oh, uh, come <clears throat> and get some coffee. It'll uh, calm you down. Thank you. The Bulgarians drink it flat on their back, you know. Uh, I'll be flat on my back any minute, and I wish I was in Bulgaria. 
Why, you're trembling like a leaf, Miss Brooks, <laughs> and you're all flushed. Well, it is rather warm in here, don't you think? If it isn't too much trouble, Osgood, would you mind pulling back those curtains and opening the window? Oh, no, not the curtains. No trouble at all. I'd be only too happy to open the window. And I'll be only too happy to jump out of it. <laughs> there we are. Well, where is he? What's become of him? What's become of who? Bobby Breen. <laughs> He used to send me. <laughs> Come on over to the couch, Connie. You're still overwrought. Well, thank you. I, I... Lay right down here. Oh, dear. no, I'll thank get you, you a it's... pillow. You know, I keep pillows in the window seat just for emergencies. Oh. I always say you never know when you need them. Why, hello, Walter. Here you are, Miss Brown. <laughs> just make yourself... Ow! Margaret! Margaret, what's the matter? Walter Denton, come out of my window seat. Aha! Just as I thought. Miss Brooks, where are you going? I thought I'd run down to the Belgian Congo for the weekend. <laughs> Sit down, Miss Brooks. Young man, what were you doing in that window seat? If you'll only give me a chance, Mr. Conklin, I can explain. Go ahead. What were you doing in there? Hiding. <laughs> Walter, tell them just why you came here tonight. Well, I came here to see Miss Brooks. I thought we'd be alone. Oh, ho! Oh, no. Well, she was only going to help me write a letter to my girlfriend. I see. Now, let's hear you explain this, Miss Brooks. Here, read this page from Walter's diary. Mine? What is this? At last I've got what I want. Red hair and what a tough, sturdy body... Walter! I wish everybody would stop saying Walter. Look, this isn't even my writing. Here, look at the other side. See, that's my biology notes from yesterday. I asked Mr. Boynton to loan me a piece of paper. Mr. Boynton wrote that? Miss Brooks, don't you get it? Get what? Red hair. It's you he's writing about. Mr. Boynton? Me? Just what he wanted? Tough and sturdy body. <laughs> well, I, I am strong. <laughs> Surely you're not pleased, Miss Brooks. I'm, I'm not? I mean, I'm not. <laughs> oh, Mr... Mr. Boynton. I thought you said we were going to be alone, Miss Brooks. You too. What's happening around here? Haven't you heard? I've been made queen for a day. <laughs> Boynton, I'd like to know whether you wrote this or not. Well, let me see it, sir. Yes, I wrote it. It was supposed to go into my diary. What's wrong with it anyway? She is strong, and I did work hard to get her. Oh, Mr. Boynton, please, not in front of everybody. It took 23 generations of crossbreeding to get a red-backed mouse like that. Red-backed mouse? Mouse? Amazing. <laughs> Miss Brooks, I'm afraid I've done you a grave injustice. You most certainly have, Mr. Conklin. You've placed your own meaning on unfortunate incidents. But I... You've accused me of misconduct with no proof whatsoever. And you've acted in general like a narrow, bigoted, unfair person. But, Miss Brooks... Mr. Conklin, I never want to see or talk to you again as long as I live. Not even about the job as head of the English department? Mr. Conklin, I've done you a grave injustice. <laughs> Let's sit down on the love seat and talk this thing over, yes. huh? Well, we'll take it up first thing in the morning, Miss Brooks. I've got to be getting home now. Come on, Walter. We'll take the bus together. Oh, we don't have to take the bus, Mr. Conklin. I've got my car outside. Your car? After our collision this morning? Oh, after I left you, I hit another car and everything snapped back into place. <laughs> well, good night, all. Good night, Walter. Good night. Good night, Walter. Good night. Good night, Mr. Conklin. Good night, Mr. Conklin. Well, now there's just the three of us, Mr. Boynton. Mrs. Davis and you and I. 
Gee, it's a beautiful night. Look at that moonlight streaming through the windows. If one would take a hint, there'd just be two of us. <laughs> two of us and one sofa. I said, if one would take a hint, there'd just be two of us. Well, here we are, just the two of us. Good. How about a little gin rummy? <laughs> That's the deal. I blitzed Mrs. Davis three across, but I'd rather have lost to Mr. Boynton. He's certainly naive, my little biology boy, but though he's shy, he's glad of I, and I'm sure he'll soon realize that the greatest thing he'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. often have you picked up a newspaper and read about an automobile accident? Chances are you think of accidents like that as always happening to someone else. From the if beginning, teachers everywhere identified with Connie Brooks. Chances are also the role would come to define Ebarden's career. How much of Miss Brooks was an extension of the film work you had done earlier? You had played a lot of um, similar kinds of roles before the show came along, didn't you? Well, not really similar. You know, I think when people know you as a personality, they are inclined to attach parts of that personality to everything you play. Actually, I did a lot of pictures that were kind of off the beaten path. I did Doe Girls, in which I played a Russian, and I played Night and Day, and played a French actress in that. Dark at the top of the stairs? Dark at the top of the stairs. Mm -hmm. A lot of things that were quite far. I think Miss Brooks was closer to being an extension of me than anything. I can't explain that too well, no. except that when I grew up, I knew a lot of teachers. They were friends of my aunt's, and I think that had a lot to do with what Miss Brooks became. This is Ali Silva of Fireside Mystery Theater, coming to you at a time of great peril. Some fiend has tied me to a rope dangling just a few feet over a giant boiling cauldron of... What is that? It smells like gazpacho? But gazpacho is supposed to be served cold. Oh, whatever. Why would I put myself in such a situation? Because we at Fireside Mystery Theater will do whatever it takes to create exciting audio drama. Enjoy our acclaimed anthology series of original eerie radio plays, performed before a live audience by a full cast of magnificent actors and a crew of amazing musicians and technicians. Just go to FiresideMysteryTheater.com for show listings, info about us, and links to our podcast. Take a listen for yourself today and find out why our podcast is among one of the top audio drama series out there. Oh, brother. That villain is cutting my rope. Well, that must mean my time is up. So tune in and subscribe to the Fireside Mystery Theater podcast. Oh, and be sure to mind the shadows.
when I got to New York, we went out in Connecticut with our dear friends. At the end of the summer, I got a call from Frank Stanton mm-hmm. of uh, Columbia, CBS, and he said, congratulations. And I said, what for? <laughs> and he said, Miss Brooks is the number one show on the air. Wow. So from that moment on, but of course by then I adored Dick Crenna and Gail Gordon and my darling Mrs. Davis, and there was no question but that I would go on with it. While Joseph Forte played Osgood Conklin on the first two episodes, Gail Gordon was cast in the role permanently. He was dry, cynical, blustery, and explosive. I played everything, juveniles and heavies in particular. We all, of course, in radio had to do dialects or we couldn't work because in those days, if you were employed to do a part on a show, it was assumed that you would be able to double and do two parts so that the employer could have a show with ten people in it and get five actors, and the five actors would do the ten parts. They didn't take double commission on those ten parts, no, did they? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> what kind of other dialects did you do then? French, German, Irish, English, of course. Having gone to school in England, I, mm-hmm. I did that a great deal, played a great many Englishmen. Everybody in radio had to do at least two or three mm-hmm. dialects. Mm-hmm. Italian, there was a, a dialect we called the international dialect, which is a little mishmash of everything. And we used that if it had to be some obscure country. You didn't know quite what it was, but it satisfied the listeners, so that was all that was necessary. After six weeks when the Lux Radio Theater was set to return to the air, CBS moved Our Miss Brooks to Sunday evenings. Colgate signed on as sponsor. The first episode of the fall season was entitled Weekend at Crystal Lake. It's the Conklin's anniversary. Unbeknownst to Osgood, his wife invites Brooks and Boynton to join their family at their cottage. CBS presents Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Our Miss Brooks is an English teacher at Madison High School. She can tell you everything you need to know about the present and past subjunctive, but she's not at all sure about the future. That is, her romantic future with biology teacher Philip Boynton. Like most men of science, Mr. Boynton is quite modest and reticent, especially when it comes to women. Well, this, of course, is in reality. But in the dreams of Connie Brooks, he's sometimes quite another fellow. Listen. Miss Brooks, I've decided to throw caution to the winds. May I call you Constance? Of course. Thank you, darling. Darling, with a little encouragement, this lad will do all right. (laughs) You're so lovely, so beautiful, so alluring. So why are you standing so far away? (laughs) Oh, is is this better? Oh, much. You're only ten feet away now. (laughs) If I get any closer, I'm liable to kiss you. Please, dear, you're standing on my foot. Oh, my darling, when you're close to me like this, I feel enchanted. I seem to hear a little angel singing in my ear. Hmm? What's what's that? Oh, fine. My little angel turns out to be Big Ben. (laughs) Oh, quiet, you little dream butcher. Come in. 
Are you awake, Connie? Oh, yes, darn it. How are you this morning, Mrs. Davis? Oh, fine, dear. My, you must have had a very exciting dream. Aren't you warm with all those covers wrapped around you? Oh, I didn't notice them. Pardon me while I unravel. <laughs> Certainly, dear. And while you're at it, you might as well unpucker, too. <laughs> I brought you a little breakfast snack up on this tray, Tony. It's a brand new recipe I've just discovered. Oh, that's very considerate of you, Mrs. Davis, but I'd rather not try any of your new recipes for breakfast. The last one, as I recall, was Peruvian sprats fried in garlic salt and almond paste. <laughs> oh, you love this little dish. It's a sort of a cereal. I got so tired of the ones that crackle and pop in your plate. This one's real quiet. Oh, what is it, Mrs. Davis? Boiled pine needles. <laughs> Boiled pine needles? Yes. First, I boil all the tar and rosin out of them. Why? That's the best part. <laughs> then I place them in extra heavy cream and coat them with powdered sugar. Oh, look at those slender, graceful needles lying there. They just seem to be sighing and whispering to each other. This is the sneakiest bowl of cereal I ever saw. <laughs> oh, no, thanks, Mrs. Davis. I've got to get ready for school. Walter Denton's picking me up in his car this morning. Why, Connie, is your car in the shop again? Yes, Mrs. Davis. I dented my radiator pretty badly the other day. I got a ticket, too, for passing a car on the left. But that's not illegal, passing a car on the left. It is when the car's approaching you. <laughs> I'm certainly enjoying this ride, Walter. It's a beautiful day. Oh, it sure is, Miss Brooks. Uh, notice anything different about the car? The car? Why, yes, the top is down, but... Walter, this wasn't a convertible. It was a club coupe with a hard top. Sure. Well, what did you do, take the top off? Oh, I didn't have to. It fell off. <laughs> the Twelve of us went for a ride the other night. That's when it happened. Twelve? Oh, but that isn't safe, Walter. You shouldn't put 12 people in one car. Oh, they weren't all in the car, Miss Brooks. Six of them were on top. <laughs> That's why it caved in, I guess. I guess. <laughs> I hope nobody was hurt, Walter. No. No, fortunately, there were all girls inside, and they're pretty soft. <laughs> yeah, with the exception of girl softball players, you're right. <laughs> Was Harriet Conklin with you that night? Oh, sure. I haven't been able to get rid of her for a month. She says she's in love with me. Love. <laughs> that is either cynicism or sinus trouble. What's the matter with Harriet Conklin, Walter? Why don't you like her? Well, outside of her being the principal's daughter, there's nothing the matter with her, but she's always chasing me. It must be hero worship. Uh, well, look, modest one If I may make a suggestion Why don't you change your attitude toward Harriet? Be kindly, but firm In other words, make her realize that your association is strictly platonic Oh, you mean like you and Mr. Boynton? Ooh <laughs> And without an anesthetic, too I'm sorry, Miss Brooks I know you're sort of fond of him But he always seems so interested in his white mice and frogs and stuff Gee, I like Mr. Boynton personally, but if you'll pardon my saying so, Miss Brooks, I think in certain matters he's real square. 
He ain't round. Well, here's Harriet's house, Miss Brooks. Uh, will you excuse me a minute? I've got to take her to school, too. Her dad left earlier than usual this morning, so she's without a ride. Go right ahead, Walter. Well, you don't have to come to the door, Walter. I'll be right there. Oh, okay, Harriet. It's Miss Brooks, Mrs. Conklin. Who? Miss Brooks! That's what we school teachers need, publicity. <laughs> Will you come up to the porch a minute, Miss Brooks? I'd like to talk to you about something. All right, Mrs. Conklin. Hello, Miss Brooks. We'll wait for you in the car. Okay, Harriet. Hello, Miss Brooks. Hello, Mrs. Conklin. What is it you wanted to tell me? Well, I've noticed how hard you've been working during the summer session, and I think a little vacation would do you a lot of good. Yes, I suppose it would, but... <laughs> uh, Mr. Conklin and I have a summer cottage up at Crystal Lake. Now, tomorrow, Saturday, is our anniversary, and I think it would be nice if you would come up to help us celebrate it. I won't say a word about it to Mr. Conklin. We'll surprise him. Could you come? Well, I really don't know, Mrs. Conklin. You see, I have a date with Mr. Boynton tomorrow. Oh, so much the better. Bring him along. You know, uh, seeing how happy our married life is might give Mr. Boynton some ideas on the subject. Why, Mrs. Conklin, I don't know what you're driving at. <laughs> well, I've seen you look at Mr. Boynton, Miss Brooks, and when one woman sees another woman look at a man the way you look at Mr. Boynton, Miss Brooks, that woman knows that the other woman is thinking thoughts about that man that a woman has thought about a man since men and women were created. <laughs> From the picture, little man, you've had a busy woman. <laughs> well, look, Mrs. Conklin, I am sort of fond of Mr. Boynton, but I don't want people to think that I... Oh, they will anyway. So you might as well... You might as well land him. <laughs> I'll tell you what. You and Mr. Boynton come up to Crystal Lake tomorrow afternoon, and you can be our house guests over the weekend. Oh, but Mrs. Conklin, maybe Mr. Conklin doesn't want any house guests this weekend. Oh, don't worry about that, Miss Brooks. I'll handle Osgood. He'll be delighted to see you when I get through with him. <laughs> and I'm sure the atmosphere will be extremely matrimonial. Mrs. Conklin, you just sold me. <laughs> I'm having lunch with Mr. Boynton today, and I'll extend your very kind invitation to spend the weekend in your trap at Crystal Lake. I mean, cottage. <laughs> oh, fine. But don't breathe a word about it to Mr. Conklin, whatever you do. Oh, don't worry about that, Mrs. Conklin. While I'm at school, I breathe as few words as possible to Mr. Conklin. <laughs> I always kind of identified myself with Walter Denton, but I could yes. never see myself driving my school teacher to school. Yes, that's funny. I was on AM the other morning, uh -huh. and suddenly this voice said, You're getting awfully high hat. I came to drive you, and you went off in a limousine. And I thought, Who is that? And it was Dick Crenna <laughs> calling from the coast. And so we had a long chat. We see each other fairly often. Oh, good. To be quite honest, uh, the parts I did were because I was louder than anybody else in radio. I could scream louder than most people, and it doesn't take a lot of talent to be noisy and loud, <laughs> but I had a good lung capacity, and I could be very loud, and that's what they would, the producers would cast me for. We want someone loud 
and uh, blow hard, and they said, well, get Gail Gordon. He's louder than anybody else, and so that <laughs> gave me a great deal of work, which isn't artistic, but at least it's truthful, and it kept the wolf from the door. In radio, I played leading men, heavies, character people, juveniles, old men, foreigners, everything else. I, no, I, I had no... Uh, I didn't miss it at all. When I got cast as a blowhard, I got more money for doing it than I did for the usual other characters. And so I was very happy to keep doing it and being cast as a blowhard. It didn't hurt me at all. Well, how do you like the food in the school cafeteria this year, Miss Brooks? About the same as last year, Mr. Boynton. At least this beef stew is the same as last year. In fact, that's when I think it was made. <laughs> oh, this chili is pretty good. Would you pass the catsup, please? Oh, surely. I think the salt and pepper are over on your side, too. Salt and pepper on chili? Well, I like things well-seasoned. Would you pass the horseradish, too, please? Here you are. Oh, thank you. Now, a little mustard and I'm all set. For the coroner. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you drink with your lunch, Mr. Boynton? A lit can of Sterno? Uh, I'm afraid I have a cast iron stomach, Miss Brooks. Really? Who helped you carry it to school? <laughs> I've always liked hot dishes, Miss Brooks. I think spicy things enhance a meal tremendously. That goes for living, too, doesn't it, Mr. Boynton? What do you mean, Miss Brooks? Mr. Boynton... Instead of our usual Saturday night date, how would you like to go away and spend a weekend together? <coughs> oh, what a shame, Mr. Boynton. You've got chili all over your red tie. I, I'm wearing a blue tie. It's red now. I didn't mean to shock you like that, Mr. Boynton. I just thought it would be nice to get away for a while, say... Up to Crystal Lake? Oh, but, 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 but... Check your motorboat, mister. <laughs> Look, Mr. Boynton. Mrs. Conklin has invited us up to their summer cottage because tomorrow's their anniversary and she wants us to help them celebrate. Well, I wouldn't want to deprive you of any fun, Miss Brooks, but... Good. What time will you pick me up tomorrow? <laughs> well, uh, I guess I might as well be a good sport. I'll call for you at 10 o'clock. Fine. Pardon me, Miss Brooks, Mr. Boynton. Oh, Hey, hello, Mr. Conklin. At ease. <laughs> On your way back to class, Miss Brooks, I'd like you to stop in my office for a moment. There's something I'd like to discuss with you. Certainly, Mr. Conklin. I'll be there in about ten minutes. Very well. As you were. <laughs> You'd never know Mr. Conklin spent some time in the Army, would you? Mr. Conklin was a major in the last war, Mr. Boynton. He served for five years. Was that so? In what theater? Low state. <laughs> He sold war bonds in the lobby. <laughs> of course, from the shape of his head, I could have sworn he spent some time in the Pentagon building. I wonder what he wants to see me about. Well, maybe it's that promotion to the head of English department you've been hoping for. Yes. Or he might have reconsidered about giving me a couple of weeks off with pay. Or maybe the raise that's due me next season is going to be made retroactive to include the summer session. Or maybe he's just going to do what he always does. Hit me across the back of the neck with a bag of hot stones. <laughs> Come in. You wanted to see me, Mr. Conklin? Oh, yeah. Yes, come in, Miss Brooks. Sit down, won't you? 
Now, I have no desire to pry into the personal lives of any of my teachers. Good for you, Mr. Conklin. I always say that a personal However, I've, uh, I've noticed that lately you're spending quite a bit of time both in and out of school with Mr. Philip Boynton. People are beginning to talk. What people, Mr. Conklin? Well, members of the school board. They're still considering you as a possible new head of the English department. You know how they feel about fraternization among the faculty at Madison, Miss Brooks. And I... Well, it would be different if you were married or even engaged to Mr. Boynton. But, Mr. Conklin, how can one ever get engaged if one doesn't fraternize with one or um, one more than one, if necessary, to find the right one? (laughs) (laughs) That is your problem, Miss Brooks. Now, I'm not asking you to stop seeing Mr. Boynton completely, but I do wish you'd think twice about your public meetings. Uh, Maybe you could... uh... Find a hideaway? (laughs) Miss Brooks, that's not what I had in mind at all. Me either, but don't knock it until you've tried it. (laughs) That is, I I wasn't going to... Uh, Now, uh, my anniversary is tomorrow, and I'm going to surprise Mrs. Conklin with a little trip to Crystal Lake. We have a cottage there, you know. Yes, I know. And if I could feel that your conduct over the weekend was above reproach, well, I'd enjoy my little vacation that much more. Oh, don't worry about Mr. Boynton and myself, Mr. Conklin. Believe me, you won't hear a thing about us. <laughs> Yoo-hoo, Martha! I'm home from school. That's nice. Go in the pantry and make yourself a peanut butter sandwich, Harriet. <laughs> Harriet? (laughs) It's me, Martha. Osgood. I'll be right down here. I've been expecting Harriet any minute. Osgood, I've got a surprise for you. Well, now, that's a peculiar coincidence. I've got a surprise for you. You have? What is it? Oh, what's yours? Well, I thought it would be nice if we spent our anniversary in the cottage at Crystal Lake. Oh. Um, what do you say, Osgood? Shall we get away from it all this weekend? Yes, that's not a bad idea. Oh, good. I know we'll have a grand time, dear. Now, what's your surprise? My surprise? Well, I thought it might be a good idea if we spent our anniversary at Crystal Lake. Oh, why, Osgood, that's a wonderful idea. Hello, Harriet. Now, if you'll both sit still for a moment, I'll acquaint you with my rarest scheme of the season. I mean, this is rare. Uh, what's rare, dear? Tomorrow's your anniversary, right? That's right. Where do you think you're going to spend it? You'll never guess, so don't even try. In our summer cottage at Crystal Lake. Crystal Lake? Why, why, Harriet, that's a wonderful idea. Isn't it, Osgood? It must be. Everybody's getting it. <laughs> Ah, this is the life. I'm certainly glad we didn't close this place up on Labor Day like we usually do. Oh, I knew you'd enjoy yourself here, Osgood. Now, just relax and smoke your pipe. I've got a little uh, dusting to do. Think I'll take a little nap. This hammock is very restful. Uh, Before you go, how about a little anniversary kiss, huh? Oh, but Osgood, it's only one o'clock in the afternoon. We weren't married until three. Uh, that's all right. Let's have a little preview. 
Well, I declare I don't know what comes over you when we come up here. Must be the mountain air. It must be. Come here, baby. <laughs> Uh, no, no, nothing at all, Harriet. I was just about to salute your mother on her anniversary. <laughs> That's as good a reason as any, I guess. Here's some wildflowers I picked for you both. Congratulations and many, many more happy anniversaries for all of us. Oh, thank you, Harriet. Now run along down to the lake, dear. Your father wants to take a little nap. Okay. I'll see if our rowboat's in shape. Don't forget we're going fishing this afternoon. Now you drop off to sleep, Osgood, and I'll... I'll wake you in about an hour. Fine, fine. Uh, I'll get your bag out of the trunk. Oh, thanks, Mr. Boynton. Gosh, that was a long drive, but here we are. Yep. Now, it's right up these porch steps, I believe. <laughs> Yoo-hoo! Anybody home? What is this? Who in the world... Miss Brooks! Mr. Boynton! What are you doing here? That's what I like about Crystal Lake, the hospitality. <laughs> about. Oh, oh, it's you, Miss Brooks, and Mr. Boynton. Oh, I'm so glad you could come. Martha, did you well, invite... Of course, dear. I asked Miss Brooks and Mr. Boynton to spend the weekend with us. That's one surprise I didn't tell you. Aren't you tickled? Yes. <laughs> well, then act it, Osgood. You certainly don't look tickled. Some people tickle easier than others. <laughs> well, maybe Mr. Conklin would rather be alone. Oh, nonsense, Mr. Boynton. Osgood and I see as much of each other alone as we want to. We're already married, you know. <laughs> uh, yes, I know. Congratulations on your anniversary. Oh, thank you, Mr. Boynton. I always say married life is give and take. Me too. <laughs> You'd have given me a little warning. I wouldn't have let you take me here. <laughs> Now, you two must be all hot and sticky from your drive up here. I, I hope you both have a bathing suit. For Mr. Conklin's sake, I hope we each have a bathing suit. Well, I'll, I'll show you where to change. Uh, just follow me and we'll all get ready for a nice dip. I don't want to go for a dip. Oh, now, dear, we must do the things our guests want to do. Why? Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm afraid I don't have a suit with me. I forgot to pack it. Oh, that's all right, Mr. Boynton. I'll fix you up with one of Mr. Conklin's. Now, come along, and you can nap for a few more minutes, Osgood. I'll take the folks in tow. Yes, do that. He sounds like he'd like you to tow us about three miles and then sink us. Uh, you just go right in here, Mr. Boynton. You'll find a bathing suit in the bottom drawer of that dresser. Oh, thanks, Mrs. Conklin. <laughs> Uh, now, here's the guest room. You and my daughter, Harriet, are sharing it for the weekend. Oh, is Harriet here for your anniversary, too? Yes. Oh, she's so devoted. Been like a daughter to us. <laughs> well, that's a coincidence. <laughs> now, before I leave you, dear, I, I want you to know that I planned this weekend for your sake more than anybody's. So I want you to take advantage of it. Oh, that's really very kind of you, Mrs. Conklin. Remember, all you have to do is keep close to Mr. Conklin and myself. Then when Mr. Boynton sees how happy we are, I'm sure he'll start thinking of marriage as a jolly institution it is. Well, what do you say? Are you game? Looks like Mr. Boynton's the game, but I'll take a shot at him. Uh, or it is. 
You know, I really do like the guy, Mrs. Conklin. I know you, dear, my dear. Now, uh, one more thing. In addition to our example, I think you should show your domesticity as well. So tonight, I want you to cook the dinner. Me? Oh, definitely. Uh, what dish do you prepare best? Soup. <laughs> what kind? Campbell's. <laughs> well, I, I think something you cook yourself might make a better impression on Mr. Boynton. I know. Uh, you can barbecue uh, some spare ribs for dinner. Now, uh, get into your suit, and I'll see you on the porch. Oh, isn't this fun? It's just like a fox hunt. Tally-ho and yoikes. Tally-ho to you, Mrs. Conklin. And I hope we all don't make a bunch of yoikes out of ourselves. <laughs> This transcribed season debut aired at 7.30 p.m. on KNX in Los Angeles and at 10 p.m. on WCBS in New York. Although the show had to deal with competition on both radio and the emerging TV market, by December, the show's rating was up to 16.4. Stop rocking the hammock, Martha. I'm getting seasick. Very well. Now, now, uh, remember, Osgood, we've got to make a good impression for Miss Brooks' sake. I don't like it, Martha. I never did believe in this matchmaking business. Besides, I thought we'd be alone, at least part of the time. Confounded, all this mountain air going to waste. It uh, won't go to waste, dear. It's always tonight. Yes. <laughs> Come here, baby. <laughs> oh, Oscar. Remember, remember what I used to call you when we were first married? Yeah. yeah. Call me it again, Mother. All right. <laughs> sugar cookie. Am I really your sugar cookie still? Well, your icing's a little whiter. But... <laughs> Miss Brooks, where did you oh, come from? Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. My, what a lovely bathing suit. One piece, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, look at Miss Brooks' uh, bathing suit, Osgood. Uh, that's long enough. Um, uh, Miss Brooks, be sure and tell Mr. Martin you made the suit yourself. Men love practical women. Oh. Hello there. Everybody all ready? Oh, it's Mr. Fox. Um... <laughs> Mr. Boynton, I mean. Uh, why, uh, Mr. Conklin's suit fits you perfectly, Mr. Boynton. Don't you think so, Miss Brooks? Yes, it's very nice. Aren't the sleeves a little wide at the wrist? <laughs> that is one of my older ones. 
That's uh, quite a suit you have on, Miss Brooks. Mm, she made it herself, didn't you, dear? Yes, out of an old stocking and some pen wipers. <laughs> Let's go down to the lake, huh? You to the raft. You're on. Let's go. Oh. <laughs> yeah, here we are. I'll help you up, Miss Brooks. Oh, yeah. oh thanks, Mr. Boynton. Oh, that was wonderful. Welcome aboard, folks. <laughs> oh, hello, Mr. Conklin. We didn't know you were out here. That's all right, my dear. Uh, let's uh, let's go take a boat ride, Miss Brooks. Oh, nonsense! Why should you leave the raft? Why shouldn't they? Uh, Mr. Boynton? Yes? Last one in is a sugar cookie. <laughs> We've been walking along the shore for quite a ways, Mr. Boynton. Just where is this little pier where the man rents the boat? Oh, it's right up ahead, Miss Brooks. He's got several different kinds of small craft. Personally, I think that flat bottoms are the best. Oh, you do? Well, that's what's nice about America. You can think what you like. <laughs> Hi there, folks. <laughs> I guess you want a boat, huh? Best way in the world to S-Y-H. S-Y-H? Spend your honeymoon. Uh, we're not married. We're just here to... Re oh, not married, huh? Up here for a little P.S. Private smudging. <laughs> just a minute. All you have to do is rent us a boat. Well, here's one right here with a small motor. Very nice. G-F-N. Good for necking. <laughs> We're not going to do anything of the sort. WSS, who says so? <laughs> BT, bashful type. <laughs> well, go ahead. Get in, miss. Hey, here, let me help you, Miss Brooks. There. Oh, we'll pay you when we come in, all right? Sure. Well, remember, miss, K-Y-L-O-Y-H-H. -H. Keep your line out. You'll hook him. S-L. So long. H-T-R, mm -hmm. hit the road. <laughs> How do you like the ride, Miss Brooks? Oh, it's very nice, Mr. Boynton. I think we better turn around now. We're pretty far from the pier. Hey, that's funny. The steering wheel seems to be stuck. It does? Isn't that a rowboat in that little cove we're heading for? A rowboat? Oh, yes, it is. I'd better cut the motor off. We're heading right for them. Oh. No, the ignition lever is stuck, too. Oh, my goodness. You've got to do something, Mr. Boynton. We're getting pretty close to that rowboat. Look out! Get out of the way! Quick, Miss Brooks. Lie on the bottom of the boat. I can't stop it. <laughs> Did we hit them? No, thank heaven. We just missed them. Oh, we're terribly sorry, folks. Oh, that's all right, Miss Brooks. We didn't really want to catch any fish here. Oh, I love eating out in the open air. I'm sure that the spare ribs Miss Brooks barbecued will be delicious. Don't you think so, Osgood? I think I should have made them. My barbecue. But Mr. Boynton will enjoy them so much more because Miss Brooks did it. Won't you, Mr. Boynton? Well, yes, I suppose Here I will. Here are, folks. I hope they turned out all right. I fixed a plate especially for you, Mr. Boynton. Oh, thanks, Miss Brooks. <laughs> well, let's fall to, everyone. Oh, I'll bet they're delicious. Might as well taste it. <laughs> what is this, anyway? 
No good? Tastes like charcoal. Uh, did you do what I told you, dear? Uh, barbecue the ribs slowly with a nice, smooth, glowing bed of coals? Certainly, I had a lovely bed of glowing coals right over the ribs. <laughs> I'm going into the house and cook myself an egg. Uh, wait, dear, I'll fix you something. You can't cook any better than she can. But, Daddy, this is your anniversary dinner. Uh, yes, dear. Uh, uh, let's be cheerful. <clears throat> Oh, how we danced on the night we were with... Anniversary, my foot! I'm going inside! We danced and we danced, but she wouldn't drop dead. (laughs) There, dear. Wasn't that a nice snack? And just the two of us alone in the kitchen. Well, it was better than those barbecued rocks. Martha, if that poor Mr. Boynton falls for Miss Brooks, I now, think it'll dear, be... dear, we agreed to forget all about it. Let's go out and sit in the hammock together. The mountain air is still with us, you know, and it's quite dark on the porch. All right, Martha. What's this? Who's that in the hammock? It's us, Daddy. Us? Harriet and me, Mr. Conklin. <laughs> Happy anniversary. Hey, it's Walter Denton, Daddy. He got here while you were inside. I invited him yesterday to surprise you. This is the last straw. Now, calm down, Osgood. Remember your blood pressure. It gives him kind of a purpley look, doesn't it? <laughs> I've got to be calm. Let's go for a little stroll, Martha. Maybe we'll run into Mr. Boynton and Miss Brooks somewhere. I doubt it, Mr. Conklin. We're at the other end of the hammock. <laughs> oh, no. I'll be all right. I'll be fine. Come, Martha. Let's go into our bedroom and go to sleep. Maybe when I wake up in the morning, this will all be oh, a we, bad... We, we can't go into our bedroom together, Osgood. Now that Walter's here, Harriet and Miss Brooks, and I will have to use a... Our room. You and Walter and Mr. Boynton will have to sleep in the guest house. What? Now this has gone far enough. I'm going to tell you people something. Before you do, Mr. Conklin, I'd like to ask you a question. What is it? How are my chances of being appointed head of the English department? (gasps) You don't have to answer now. You can think it over and tell me right after I've blown my brains out. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lois, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton was played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, Noreen Gamale, and Dink Trout. Bob Lamont speaking for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Are you new to old-time radio? A hardcore fan? Curious, but don't know where to start? Try the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to the great horror, crime, and suspense shows from the golden age of radio, including tales from Suspense, Lights Out, Quiet Please, The Shadow, and more. 
Each episode features a classic or maybe not so classic story from the old time radio vault, complete with historical notes and trivia. At the end of each podcast, your mysterious old hosts, Tim, Joshua, and Eric, discuss the merits of the story and decide whether or not it stands the test of time, balancing insight and humor to make you think harder about what made these old shows so great, even when they aren't so great. The Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society is available everywhere you get your podcasts, as long as you get your podcasts from iTunes or Podbean. For more information about the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, or to download episodes directly, visit ghoulishdelights.com. And now back to Breaking Walls. Now, more of the Old Time Radio Show on 71K News with your host, John Dunny. And this is a very special Sunday afternoon for our guest via the long lines is Eve Arden of Armis Brooks. Hi, are you there? Hi, John. Yes, I am. How are you? Fine, thank you. How are things out on the West Coast? Oh, beautiful. Gorgeous today. You have a voice that is enduring. I don't know whether I should start off by saying that, but... Uh, well, it better be. <laughs> is it a, it's one of the two or three voices that you hear and instantly you know who it is. Has that been a, a blessing or what? Well, it's been kind of astonishing to me because if I get in an elevator and say three, <laughs> six people turn around. <laughs> <laughs> Eve Arden, and I'm always embarrassed because it's a day when I would like not to be caught, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, what happened? What do you do in a, in a situation like I don't know if anybody can identify with that who has not been in it. What do you do when... I, I guess not. I'm very used to it now because it's lasted since our Miss Brooks, you know. Well, even before that, pictures I did, people identified my voice immediately. As summer turned into fall, Connie Brooks celebrated a birthday, which she naturally forgot. The October 24th, 1948 episode was called Putting the Touch on Miss Brooks, or The Surprise Party. I'm Olive Soap, your beauty hope, and luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous dream girl hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Miss Brooks teaches English at Madison High School. She's very fond of her pupils, and they're very fond of her. She's also very fond of biology teacher Philip Boynton, and he's very fond of his frogs and guinea pigs. Well, this absorption in his laboratory is largely due to Mr. Boynton's natural shyness. Well, that is to say that he's shy in the world of reality, but in the dreams of our Miss Brooks... Philip Boynton is every bit as ardent and attentive as any woman could desire. Let's listen. Oh, my darling Constance. You're so lovely, so desirable. I feel I could fly on the wings of our love. Won't you join me, Constance, on a flight to paradise? Contact. <laughs> uh, I must pause for a moment, my darling. You know why? For station identification? <laughs> I want to look at you again before I kiss you. And if you notice anything strange in my eyes, dearest, it's stardust. Well, sweep it under your lids and let's get going. <laughs> oh, isn't it wonderful, Connie? Just you and I alone in our dream house. Yes, it is, Philip. And if anyone comes calling, we'll refuse to answer the doorbell. 
sorry, wrong number. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, alarm clock. Oh, you win. Quiet. I could have slept a few more minutes. That dream might have gotten the Academy Award. <laughs> Come in. Good morning, Connie. Good morning, Mrs. Davis. I've brought you a little breakfast tray. Hope you like the surprise recipe on it. Another surprise recipe? I'm still trying to get used to the last one. Rye crisp boiled in breadcrumbs. Oh, this isn't anything like that, Connie. This is a famous Alaskan dish. Want to know what it consists of? No, what? It's very simple. You just take a pound of frozen whale meat, thaw it out, roll into patties, and fry in deep seal fat. What do you call this Eskimo's delight? Blubber burgers. <laughs> Blubber burgers? Yes. Of course, not everyone can enjoy them at first eating. How do you stand on the whale meat, Connie? I really don't know, Mrs. Davis. I've never stood on any. <laughs> It was nice of you to bring a tray into my room, Mrs. Davis, but I'd rather have breakfast out here in the dinette with you. Oh, thank you, Connie. But you haven't had a thing but a glass of milk. I know. You can't fry that. Uh, <laughs> that is, I didn't feel very hungry. Oh, that's too bad. Today of all days. What's so special about today? Don't you know? Let's see. Oh, certainly. Yesterday was payday, so today must be rent day. What do I owe you, Mrs. Davis? I'm not worried about the rent, Connie, although I could use a small loan. How much? Well, $5 would do nicely. It's for a donation I promised the Ailing Newsboys Fund. All right, Mrs. Davis, I can let you have $5. You sure you won't miss it? No, I won't miss it. The people I owe the payment on my car might miss it, but I'll take care of that later. <laughs> I've had my eye on a bag in Justin's department store, and I've decided to throw caution to the winds and buy it this afternoon. The one you told me about? Green alligator skin? That's the one. Of course, I'll have to postpone a lot of my time payments. The car, my coat, the watch I bought for Mr. Boynton, but it's worth it. Wait till you see that bag, Mrs. Davis. But what about your creditors? What'll you tell them? I'll write them all polite letters. Letters? What'll you say? Oh, I'll think of something. I'm an English teacher, ain't I? I mean, uh... <laughs> Aren't I? Uh, am I not? <laughs> you certainly must have your heart set on that bag. Oh, I have. Do you think Mr. Boynton will like it? He likes frogs and lizards and things. <laughs> then this alligator bag ought to be right up his alley. Lucky alligator bag to be up an alley with Mr. Boynton. <laughs> oh, that must be Walter Denton. He's giving me a lift to school. I'll be there in a minute, Walter. Is your car in the repair shop again, Connie? Yes, the garage says they just have to get one more part for the car before I can drive it again. What part is that? A motor. <laughs> Hello, Walter. Come in. Thanks, Miss Brooks. I just came in to tell you to be sure and bring a coat with you this morning. It's colder than a schoolteacher's heart out. I mean, some schoolteacher's hearts, Miss Brooks. You're a warm one. <laughs> Thanks, Walter. You can butter me up on the way to school. I'll go get a coat. I'll just be a few minutes. 
did someone let that cat in again? It's me, Mrs. Davis. Oh, Walter, I'm glad you came in. We've got to make arrangements for the surprise party. Does she know it's her birthday? No, just like last year. She's forgotten about it completely. Well, then the party will go over that much bigger. Did you find out what she wants? Yes, I did, Walter. It's a green bag in Justin's, but she's threatened to buy it for herself. Golly, that's no good. I know. So I've thought up this scheme. If we all borrow some money from her, she won't be able to buy it. <laughs> then we can give it to her for a present. I'll call the Conklins and tell them to be sure and borrow something from Miss Brooks when she gets to school. Good. She's so soft-hearted, she'll never turn anybody down, as long as there's a hard luck story with it. I'll put the bite on her and... I mean, I'll borrow something on our way to school. <laughs> oh, uh, here she comes. I'll go back into the kitchen. I don't want her to think we've been conspiring. Okay, Mrs. Davis. Well, that wasn't such a long wait, was it, Walter? Oh, not at all, Miss Brooks. Gosh, that's a nice coat. Well, when did you buy that? Within the next 18 months. <laughs> Let's hurry, Walter. I couldn't touch a morsel of Mrs. Davis's breakfast. I'd like to get a bite on our way. Don't worry. You will. <laughs> Our Miss Brooks will continue in just a moment, but first... I think my favorite medium is theater. Uh-huh. I like dealing with the audience on one-to-one, you know. You do a picture, and it's very different because it's a director's medium and a producer's medium and the money man's medium. Mm -hmm. So that what comes out isn't what you expect, you know. Complete the last line of this jingle. In the theater, when you step out on that stage, nobody can say, oh, don't read that line <laughs> that way. Yeah. Or you need a little more light. You know, you're on. And I love that part of And my husband loves theater. I had always wanted to have a hit on Broadway that was created by me. You know, kind of like Judy Holliday in mm -hmm. Born Yesterday. And I griped about it a little. And someone said to me, do you realize if you've had a hit on Broadway, probably a hundred or two hundred thousand people might have seen you in it if you'd stayed in it long enough. And this way, you've been in Miss Brooks, everybody loves you, and you've been seen by millions. So I, I figured I'd better shut up while I was ahead. I just had a tune-up job done in the car, Miss Brooks Runs pretty smooth, doesn't it? Yes, it does, Walter What kind of a car was this? Uh, is this? A 1938 Hudson Hmm, certainly held together for the past ten years So have you, Miss Brooks <laughs> Not that I'm comparing you with a car or anything But, well, you're still so youthful Nature's treated you extremely well why, you haven't even got any crow's feet. Nature probably knows I can't afford shoes for them. <laughs> I don't like to keep bothering you with my personal problems, Miss Brooks, but could I once more? Could you once more what, Walter? Bother you with a personal problem. It's about a financial matter. What kind of a financial matter? A loan? Are you asking me or telling me? <laughs> I'm telling you? I mean, I'm telling you. I'm broke. Really? How long have you been a schoolteacher? No, I'm serious. I've just got to get some money somewhere. It isn't like it was for myself. I wouldn't even ask if it was for myself. Who is it for? It's for a friend of mine. He's a... 
he's an ice man, and his horse fell down the other day, and he's laid up in the barn now, and my friend hasn't been able to sell any ice. Oh, that's too bad, Walter. He doesn't know when the horse will be on his feet again, and he's just had a baby. The horse? No, the ice man. <laughs> well, that's a switch. His wife has a baby, you see, and they haven't got enough money to buy milk to feed it, well, let alone the other seven children in the family, plus oats. Isn't it sad, Miss Brooks? Saddest thing since Camille. How much do you want to borrow, Walter? Five dollars would help a lot. Okay, here you are. Gosh, thanks. Are you sure you won't miss it? No, I won't miss it, Walter. The people who sold me this coat may miss it, but I'll take care of that later. Thanks again. You don't know what this money will do for these people, and you'll get it back just as soon as my friend's foot heals. Your friend's foot? I thought it was the horse who fell. The horse? Oh, sure. But didn't I tell you? When the horse fell, my friend tried to lift him up and sprained his own ankle. Oh, great. Between his sick horse, sprained ankle, and having a baby, your friend is the busiest ice man I ever knew. <laughs> oh, we're right near school. Oh, gosh, I got so wound up talking about my poor friend, I forgot to stop and let you get some breakfast. Well, after that story, Walter, I'd feel guilty eating anything but hay. <laughs> I'll have an early lunch in the cafeteria. Okay, Miss Brooks. Well, here we are. Thanks, Walter. Say, isn't that Harriet Conklin going up the steps? Yeah, that's Harriet. Oh, you better hurry. She's anxious to talk to you. How can you tell from the back of her neck? I'm psychic about some things. Go ahead, Miss Brooks. All right, Walter. See you later. Good morning, Harriet. Oh, good morning, Miss Brooks. I'm so glad we bumped into each other before school starts. I've been very anxious to talk to you. Walter is psychic at that, among other things. What did you want to talk to me about? Well, it's rather embarrassing. Not that you're hard to talk to or anything, but... Oh, golly, I just don't know how to say it now that we're face to face. Well, we'd look pretty silly chatting back to back. <laughs> what seems to be the trouble? Well, it's really not my trouble, Miss Brooks. It's just that I've got to get some financial assistance for a friend in need. What friend, Harriet? Well, it's a little boy I know. He comes from a very poor family, and in order to help his folks, he shines shoes after school. Now, he's got a little dog that helped him get his business started. What did he do, put up the money? <laughs> No, Miss Brooks. He used to do tricks and track customers, but just the other day he fell down and hurt his foot. Now the poor little dog can't even get downtown anymore. Well, I can get him a lift downtown if he doesn't mind riding on a lame horse. <laughs> I don't understand. Well, I don't either, but how much do you want to borrow? Well, right after he was hurt, they took the little dog to a hospital, and the bill there was $8. He must have had a semi-private room. <laughs> Well, here's the eight dollars, Harriet. Oh, thank you, Miss Brooks. You sure you won't miss it? No, I won't miss it. The people I owe the payment on my watch might miss it, but I'll take care of that later. Anyway, I still have enough left to pick up that bag at Justin's this afternoon. You have? Oh, I mean, what bag? A green alligator job that I've had my eye on for weeks. Oh. Well, before you go to your room, Daddy would like you to stop in at his office. Uh-oh, what have I done now? Well, why should you think you've done something, Miss Brooks? Golly, just because Daddy's a principal is no reason for anybody to be afraid of him. No, oh, maybe you're right, Harriet. Good morning. Ah! <laughs> morning, Daddy. See you later, Miss Brooks. Bye, Harriet. <laughs> Will you uh, step into my office a moment, Miss Brooks? Certainly, Mr. Conklin. Ah, at ease. 
<laughs> Have a chair. Yes, sir. As you know, I was a major in the last war. Mm-hmm. Spent almost four years in charge of the post exchange at Camp Bobrick, Ohio. Stout fella. <laughs> yes, although I've been returned to the arms of my loved ones for over two years now, I opened my last box of Hershey's in 46. <laughs> I must confess there are aspects of military life which bear remembering. Such as? Ah, the camaraderie, esprit de corps. Don't you agree, Miss Brooks? Oui, mon capitaine. (laughs) Now, you've been teaching at Madison High for over five years, haven't you? That's right, Mr. Conklin. And in that time, I've had a lot of esprit de corps, but very few raises. I think the last one was Uh, way back in... Now, let's not talk shop, Miss Brooks. (laughs) I uh, realize that you haven't had a raise in some time, but after all, it's a universal complaint these days, and one which can't be remedied overnight. Meanwhile, you get by very nicely on the money you earn, don't you? Well, speaking frankly... Uh, That's the only way to speak, Miss Brooks. (laughs) Now, if you don't mind, I'll come to the point. I've got to have some financial assistance for a friend of mine in distress. Another one? (laughs) This poor chap was one of my GI assistants during the war. Just a corporal, but I recommended him for a War Department citation. Really? Yes. You never saw anyone fill a Coke machine like this lad. (laughs) As for stacking Kleenex boxes... Oh! Well... (laughs) After the war, he got married and started to raise a family. That was three years ago, but luck didn't favor this boy. He lost one job after another. Things went from bad to worse. You mean he became a teacher? (laughs) No laughing matter, Miss Brooks. He's just written me that his wife is going to have another baby. They're four. In three years? (laughs) There's a a set of twins. (laughs) In any event, he's desperate. He can't even afford a hospital room for his wife. Well, I know where there's a semi-private room if she doesn't mind dogs. (laughs) I mean, how much would you like to borrow, Mr. Conklin? Well, I've asked many of my friends for five or ten dollars. I see. Well, I guess But you're such an old friend, Miss Brooks, I feel that I can ask you for fifteen. Before our friendship gets any older, here's the fifteen (laughs) dollars. Oh, thank you, Miss Brooks. You're sure you won't miss it? No, I won't miss it. The people I owe a repair bill on my car might miss it, but I'll take care of that later. Very well. That'll be all, then. Dismissed. I was a freelance Mm -hmm. actress, and I did just lots of radio shows, lots and hundreds of radio shows. I did... Mayor of the Town with Lionel Barrymore and Agnes Moorhead, and just on and on. Now, when you joined the cast of Our Miss Brooks, uh, you were a teenager at that I time? I was. I was. And I you, was a teenager, and I'd done lots of radio. and You had done the Lux Radio Theater yeah, oh, many Lux, times over yeah, the years, of, didn't you? Lux? Yes. Oh, my goodness, yes. I want to talk to you about Lux, but I first yes. want to talk with you about Our Miss Brooks. Now, you were cast as the daughter of Osgood Conklin, the principal mm-hmm. of that series. Mm-hmm. Harriet Conklin. Yes, yes. Did you have to audition with a lot of other young ladies for that role? You know, they did have an audition, and I'm trying to remember how that all came down. But there was an audition, and I got a call from Larry Burns, who was the producer, and he said, 
you're going to do Harriet. And I thought, oh, my goodness. That, that was such a – and it was a regular role, which meant I would be under contract to CBS, which I was for 10 years. By the fall of 1948, William Paley's package program initiative had taken hold. On Monday nights, the Lux Radio Theater, Arthur Godfrey's Talent Scouts, and my friend Irma all had top 10 ratings. While on Thursday evenings, Suspense, Mr. Keene, and Casey Crime Photographer had nearly 20 million listeners each. However, it was Sunday evenings where CBS would make its move to topple NBC as the number one network. At the time, all individual U.S. citizens were taxed 77% on all income over $70,000. However, if radio stars incorporated and sold their shows to the networks, they would be taxed under capital gains laws at 25%. NBC refused to give their top talent this deal. William Paley had no issue making such an agreement. Amos and Andy and Jack Benny were the first to jump ship. It drastically changed Sunday night's ratings. Benny's first month on CBS in January of 1949 was the highest rated show on the air with a rating of 28.3. Meanwhile in March, audiences voted Eve Arden radio's top comedienne. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we would like to bring to our microphone the Western editor of Radio Mirror Magazine, Miss Ann Daggett. Thank you, Mr. Lamont. And as you know, the current issue of Radio Mirror Magazine is now announcing the results of its annual awards based on a poll of radio listeners all over the country. It is my pleasant duty to present this scroll on behalf of those listeners who have elected as Radio Tom ranking comedian, Miss Eve Arden. Thank you, Miss Daggett, and my sincere thanks also to you listeners who made this award possible. I'd like to say at this time that I'm certainly going to try in the coming months to merit the honor you've bestowed upon me, because I understand that if I win this scroll two years in a row, I get to keep Mr. Boynton. Thank you, Dan, and good night. In the fall of 1949, WCBS in New York programmed Our Miss Brooks on Sundays at 6.30 to serve as the lead-in for the Jack Benny program. Hollywood affiliate KNX ran the show in transcription at 8 p.m. Pacific time. Our Miss Brooks remained strong even as radio audiences were leaving for TV. The show cracked radio's top 40 in 1950, top 30 in 1951, and top 20 in 1952. By then, the program also featured Mary Jane Croft as Miss Enright. I did the radio show, and then we went to television. And it was just marvelous. Dick Crenna was funny and wonderful in it and grew up on it. Jeff was in the radio show. Was he Ira Grassell then? I think he was still Ira Grassell. 
that was his name before Jeff Chandler, and I think that was his name then. Yes, and then he went into pictures right away and, and got more comfortable, actually smoother shades. Do you remember when you first met them? Mary Jane told me on the phone last night that she was on Armis Brooks. Yes, she was my rival, Miss Enright. Miss Enright. Yes. And you knew Jeff Chandler. Oh, yeah. My original leading man, my daughter, came here today and said, Mother, I got a cassette of our Miss Burke. And she said, Jeff Chandler was on it. <laughs> so she was kind of surprised. That he was on it for as long as he was. Well, yes, she didn't realize that he had been the first one. Excuse me, Miss Brooks, but may I sit at this table with you? The school cafeteria is pretty crowded today. Oh, sit down, Mr. Boynton. You'll forgive me if I go ahead with my lunch. Oh, of course. I want to eat this salad while it's still warm. <laughs> there, there's something I'd like to talk to you about. Yes, Mr. Boynton? I've heard from many people how generous and warm-hearted you are under your veneer of seeming sophistication. Of course, I've always known that you're true blue, a hundred percent human being deep down below the surface. Why, Mr. Boynton, you've been peeking at my x-rays. <laughs> I'm serious. I know that I can appeal to you for assistance without fear of embarrassment. And I know when you hear my story, you'll want to help. Et tu, Boynton? <laughs> well, what's your story? Well, I have this friend who's also a biologist. From a poor family? No, no, his family's very wealthy, as a matter of fact. But he's married and has seven children and one on the way. No, he's a single chap. But he's got a bad sickness. No, no, he's in the pink of condition. Oh, wait a minute, I know. His little puppy broke its leg. Oh, he hasn't any puppy, but his great Dane just won a blue ribbon. Wrong again. But give that lady a box of Red Heart and two tickets to next week's flea circus. <laughs> Look, Mr. Boynton, I'll bet your friend's horse is so lame he can't even ride him to work, hmm? Well, my friend drives a Cadillac. Uh, uh, look, if you'll just let me finish, I'll be as brief as possible. You see, he's leaving town, and he's got about 30 white mice and frogs that he wants to give me. Oh, so that's it. They're sick. Oh, no, not at all. They're wonderful specimens. But they're orphans. Please, Miss Brooks, what I'm trying to tell you is that... I'll need about $20 for the added equipment it'll require to house them. Oh, well, why didn't you say so? Here, Mr. Boynton, here's $18. It's all I have left. Let a couple of the mice double up. <laughs> uh, thank you, Miss Brooks. I certainly appreciate this, but are you sure you won't miss it? No, I won't miss it. The people I owe the payments on my car, watch, and coat might miss it, but I'll take care of that later. There's only one thing that's not going to be put off, Mr. Boynton. Oh, what's that? A green alligator bag I've got my deep-down-underneath little warm heart set on. My first stop after school will be the nearest bank that lends money. Attention, quiet, please. Now then, Harriet, it was your idea to have this surprise party for Miss Brooks. Suppose you outline the plan. All right, Daddy. First of all, did we all borrow enough from Miss Brooks to keep her from getting that bag she wants? Mrs. Davis and I took $5 each from her. I nailed her for a... Uh, that is... <laughs> I appropriated 15 And she loaned me $18. Good for you, Mr. Boynton. 
Oh, I'm afraid it's not good enough, Mr. Conklin. She told me at lunch she was going to the bank and borrow the money for the bag. Oh, golly, that'll spoil everything. I know. Why don't we call the store and tell them under no circumstances to sell her that bag? Tell them uh, we're buying it. Excellent, Walter. It's a wonder that that agile mind of yours doesn't function quite so efficaciously in the schoolroom. Gosh, thanks, Mr. Conklin. <laughs> then I'll run down to the store, pick up the bag, and take it home. Now, who'll get Miss Brooks and bring her over to our house? Oh, I will. I'll call for her at about 5 o'clock and bring her over to your house at 6. Fine. Now, synchronize watches, everybody. <laughs> Let's see, confidential loan department. This is it. Uh, pardon me, I've read your ads, but I'd still like to be assured that any business we transact will be strictly confidential. You may be quite certain of that, miss. <laughs> what? I said we treat all our transactions with the utmost secrecy. Well, you can let me in on it. <laughs> I'd like to borrow about $35. Yes, ma'am. What is your occupation, please? I'm a school teacher. How long have you been teaching, and at what school, please? Five years at Madison High. <laughs> and how do you sound when you've got laryngitis? Very comical. <laughs> you write your name and address down, and I'll get you the money. Is that all there is to it? Yes, we don't believe in a lot of red tape. Oh. All you have to do is sign a few papers. First here. Yes. Now here. Right. Now this one. There you are. Now here. Mm-hmm. And here. Again. And this one. Yes. Now we'll start on the second page. <laughs> here. Yes. And here. Mm-hmm. And here. Mm-hmm. And here. And here. And here. you, madam? It's Miss, Miss Brooks. I'd like to see an item your department has been featuring in your window display. Uh, what item is that, Miss Brooks? It's a green alligator. What? A green alligator. I've seen it in your window every day for weeks now. Have you ever heard of Alcoholics Anonymous? <laughs> Do you mean to tell me you don't know what I'm talking about? Oh, not at all, Miss Brooks. You know you don't know what you're talking about, don't you? Or do you? <laughs> of course I do. Let's start all over again. There's a purse made of green alligator skin that's been in your window for oh, the past... Oh, that thing. Oh, you wouldn't want to own that. Why, it wouldn't do a thing for you. It wouldn't have to. I've got a job. <laughs> May I see it, please? Uh, uh, funny thing about that model, I sold the last one not a half hour ago to uh, uh, Miss H. Conklin, I believe. Well, couldn't you get one just like it if I... H. Conklin? That's Harriet. Why, that little demon. Maybe if I get her another bag, she'll trade me the green one. No, she wears a lot of green. Besides, she has alligator shoes, too. Well, I might as well go over to her house and see what I can do anyway. Um, uh, I didn't mean to eavesdrop on your monologue. But, uh... H. Conklin won't be home for a while. She said she had a lot of shopping to do. And then she's going to get a manicure at Antoine's. Well, I'll go to her house and wait. Thank you, and good day, J. Edgar Hoover. (laughs) 
Mary, no! God, let like, go! I simply don't understand it. Of course, the sound is coming from the basement. It's all right, I've got you, Mr. Adam. No, no. Show me what? Gotta get away from those eyes! Get away! Get away! George, no! Are you attracted to the dark? Fascinated by the dramatic? With a side of gruesome and a dash of poetic justice? If your happy place is a gloomy room at midnight, then you should be listening to the podcast, Twelve Chimes It's Midnight. Please join us, won't you, for plays of mystery, horror, and suspense. Find us and subscribe wherever you procure your podcasts. And remember, at midnight, anything can happen. While we're talking about him, when I was coming along in the 50s and going to movies and seeing Jeff Chandler, he was really the epitome of tough male action. And I yeah. think I was somewhat shocked when I went back and started listening to Armis Brooks on tape yeah. to find out what a real comedic talent this man was. Yes, yes, he was. He loved the show, though. He really wanted to go into TV with it. But he would never have done on TV because he was so macho in appearance. I remember at Christmas we always had to be careful because he had to kiss Miss Brooks. And he took it very seriously then. And the audience was kind of astounded. Hmm. Miss Brooks. Yes, Mr. Boynton? Come here, baby. You said, come here, Connie. You did not. You said, come here, baby, and I'm here. <laughs> Look, he's taking her over to the mistletoe. Oh, isn't it wonderful? Well, 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 what are you going to do, Mr. Boynton? Uh, just call me Phil, Connie. And this is what I'm going to do. How does that make you feel? Oh, I feel like I'm in a dream, Philip. A wonderful, beautiful dream. And Bob Rockwell, of course, made it a very good Mr. Boynton because he was a little less macho than, than Jeff, and yet he had a nice male quality, you know. Oh, uh, you mean then the decision to use um, uh, Bob Rockwell on television was made because they didn't think Jeff Chandler would fit the part? Well, partially that, but really, Jeff was becoming a big movie star. That's what I thought. And the studio wanted him to do it, but he was very sentimental about the show and wanted to stay on, but they finally persuaded him that that was the thing to do. In addition to the Radio Mirror poll, in the winter of 1949, Motion Picture Daily named Eve Arden the year's best radio comedian. Her sharp wit helped make her an honorary member of the National Education Society. 
1952, she won an award from the Teachers College of Connecticut's Alumni Association for humanizing the American teacher. Although Lucille Ball's greatest fame was achieved on TV with I Love Lucy, on radio, My Favorite Husband was never a hit the size of our Miss Brooks. The two stars had tremendous respect for each other. Gail Gordon worked with both. It was Miss Brooks that virtually the entire cast of the radio version of Our Miss Brooks moved to television, didn't it? That's right. The entire cast, with the exception of Jeff Chandler, who became a movie star during the radio run of Our Miss Brooks. And when we moved over into television, Universal wouldn't let him appear in the television show because he was signed to star with Universal Pictures. Mm -hmm. And that was when they got Bob Rockwell, yeah. a mm -hmm. dear, dear mm -hmm. sweet man, yes. Working with Lucy was a joy, but also working with Eve Arden was. I've been very, very lucky, and the people that I've worked with have all been very inspiring people, very, very capable and talented, and very nice people. And I consider that one of the mm -hmm. greatest glories of this profession, is having known so many people who were real people, really good, good people, as well as being talented and delightful. When you first went on television as Armist Brooks, you followed Lucille Ball on Monday nights, I think. they had the, She was on at whatever time, 8 o'clock, and you came on at 8.30 for the first really? season. You were it's funny, kind of I don't remember back that. to back there mm -hmm. for a while, mm -hmm. as you were on at RKO. And, you see, yeah. Lucy had a radio show mm -hmm. that was not particularly successful, which is why she is I Love Lucy today, because they dropped that then and went with Desi's idea. Mm -hmm. That was my favorite was husband. That she yes. Had. Yeah. Uh -huh. Gloria McMillan was 15 when the show began. Up to that point, I was a freelance mm -hmm. actress, and I did just lots of radio shows, lots and lots, hundreds of radio shows. I did Mayor of the Town with Lionel Barrymore and Agnes Moorhead, and just on and on. But then when I was lucky enough to be cast in Brooks, that was a career because we did the radio show, and then we were, when the television show came along, we were doing the television and the radio show at the same time for a while. And then we did a motion picture at Warner Brothers of Armis Brooks. So it was a full time, and I was very lucky. Very, very lucky to be a part of that. When you started, of course, you had no idea that it would go on for oh, so gosh, many no, years. No. Were you hired on a 13-week uh, a or a 39-week basis at the beginning or for the season, It was just kind of loose, as I remember. <laughs> I think they were checking it out to see if it was going to mm -hmm, go mm -hmm. or whatever, but I did not sign a contract, no, so they could have let me go at any time. I did sign a contract with CBS when the television show happened, and I was so lucky because they just said, when the television show starts, we're all going to go together. And I think that was Eve's doing, because I think we had become a family, really, by then, and I think she was the one mm -hmm. who said, I want all my family to go with But me. one of the family members didn't make it to TV. No. The man who played Mr. Boynton on the radio was Jeff Chandler. Arden took Our Miss Brooks into TV in the fall of 1952. Most of the cast migrated over, with the exception of Jeff Chandler. It was on radio five years, uh -huh. one of which overlapped 
the four TV. years on television. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Now that's something really very interesting about the transition from radio to television. A lot of the shows that were very well established on radio didn't make it on TV, no. and I think a lot of it was due to the fact that people who watched the show then saw people they couldn't relate right. to because they had their ideas of them in their own minds. Right. Yet, with one exception, every member of the Armis Brooks radio cast moved into television. Yes, and the only one who didn't, as you know, was Jeff Chandler. And the reason for that was that Jeff had suddenly become a big motion picture star, plus he really wanted to do it with us. But he just physically, and when you looked at Jeff, you didn't believe he was the shy, bumbling Mr. Boynton. Mm. Vocally, he did it. So Bob Rockwell was the perfect replacement for him. You know. Jeff Chandler might not have been part of Our Miss Brooks on television, but Eve Arden had her own issues with TV. Number one, they didn't want to take Dick Crenna into TV. Mm -hmm. They asked me to make tests with some boys, and I said, what for? And they said, for Walter Denton. I said, you're crazy. People know Dick, and they said he's too old. I said, but he doesn't look it. He doesn't sound it, and they'll love him. So they pressured me to make the test, and I said, I'll do it if you make a test of Dick, too. And there was no question after that. Then they came to me partway through and said, we're going to make a big change. Just keep you and Gail Gordon, that's all. And we're going to send you to Hollywood. I said, it's not going to work. And I bet I have my people back in three months. And I did. Mm -hmm. And it was a shame, but that spoiled it. They changed it from a uh, public school to a private school. And, yes. Uh, yes. From a high school to a grammar school. And it never and recovered yeah. from that. That was really the reason we went off the air. And it's a shame. Why did they change that? Why did they want to make the change? Well, we were caught in a game that is played, really, by an awful lot of TV producers and sponsors. When the time comes to renew, each one pretends that the sponsor and the network say, well, the show's ratings are going down a little and it's not as good as it used to be. So then the creative people get very upset and they come and say, but we've got a great new idea, you know? And then they change it and it ruins the whole thing. Mrs. Conklin, is Harriet at home? Why, no, Miss Brooks. She's out doing some last-minute shopping for the... Miss Brooks! Isn't it terribly early? I mean, um, with the days getting shorter all the time, it seems like about five o'clock. It is five o'clock. May I come in, Mrs. Conklin? Oh, of course. Who's that at the door, Martha? Oh, it's you, Miss Brooks. Hello, Mr. Conklin. Martha, did Harriet get back with all... Miss Brooks! <laughs> Isn't it a little early? I mean, it only seems like five o'clock. Five-one. <laughs> sit down here in the living room a minute, Miss Brooks. Osgood, I'd like to talk to you. Yes, yes. Will you excuse us, please, Miss Brooks? Surely. Well, I don't know why he's so early. Well, I don't know why he's so early. Somebody must have slipped up. That's all I've got to say. I wonder if they've had a confidential loan lately. <laughs> Oh, 
Walt. Here. Hello, Mrs. Conklin. I got all this stuff. Funny hats, noisemakers, confetti, and streamers. Oh, come on in the living room and we'll start decorating the place. Uh, but, Walter, uh, look who's here, Walter. Hi, Miss Brooks. Hi, Walter. Now, we'll take the streamers and we'll start in this corner of the room and we'll... <laughs> Miss Brooks! <laughs> when you hear the tone, the time will be 5-2. This one's on me. <laughs> Oh, hello, Mr. Conklin. I, I was just over to Mrs. Davis's house, but you... Say no uh, more. Say no more, Boynton. Come into the living room. Hello, Mr. Boynton. Hi. Oh, hello, Mrs. Conklin, Walter. Hello, Mr. Boynton. Oh, hello, Miss, Miss Brooks. As I started to say, Mr. Conklin, I went over to Mrs. Davis's to pick up Miss Brooks, but she... Miss Brooks! <laughs> I know I'm terribly early, but I wish I knew for what. <laughs> I'll answer it. Must be Harriet. Hello, dear. Mrs. Davis. Come in, won't you? I got the bag, Mother, and I had it gift-wrapped. Oh, it looks just super. I brought the cake, Martha. Well, hello, everybody. Hello, Mrs. Davis, Harriet. Hello, hello Miss Brooks. Brooks. Well, there's nothing else we can do now but wait. Miss Brooks! Brooks! <laughs> if somebody says Miss Brooks once more, I'm going to change my name to Lucy Pumpernickel. <laughs> Well, I guess the cat's out of the bag now. We might as well tell her. Miss Brooks, this little gathering is in honor of your birthday. My birthday? How do you like that? I forgot it again. Miss Brooks, as a token of our esteem and affection, may we present you with this little gift. Go on, Miss Brooks, open it. The gift is something you've wanted for a long time, Connie. Oh, the green alligator bag. So that's why everybody borrowed money from me today. Well, that's right. We, we didn't want you to get it for yourself. Well, this is certainly the nicest present anybody ever bought me, with or without my money. <laughs> oh, we didn't get this with your money, Miss Brooks. Look inside the purse. Why? Oh, what's this? Five, ten, twenty? It's all here. That's right, Miss Brooks. Well, now that we all know it's your birthday... Suppose you tell us how old you are. <laughs> Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday, our Miss Brooks. Happy birthday to Eve Arden, as our Miss Brooks, returns in just one moment. But first, dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. Tonight, you can see this come true, revealed by a luster cream shampoo. You'll see your hair lovelier, your wave or curls softer, more glamorous, easy to do quickly. Even in hardest water, luster cream shampoo leaves hair three ways lovelier. Fragrantly clean, easier to manage, brilliant with sheen. Don't wait. Tonight, use Luster Cream Shampoo. Not a soap, not a liquid, but a dainty, magical cream. Discover why it's by far the top favorite cream shampoo. Get the big jar, one dollar. Smaller sizes, either tubes or jars. Tonight, you can be a dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. You owe your crowning glory to a luster cream shampoo. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. So, you see, I won't need the $35 I borrowed from you people yesterday. Here it is. Fine. 
the interest is practically nothing. Oh, that's nice. May I have a receipt, please? Of course. Just sign here. Yes. And here. Yes. And here. Yes. And here. Yes. And here. Next week, tune into another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Palmolive Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous dream girl hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Dentists know what cleans teeth best, and over 4,000 dentists say Colgate Tooth Powder with a two-minute routine gets teeth sparkling and super clean. So to remove dull film and get your teeth shining clean, just brush teeth two minutes morning and night with Colgate Tooth Powder. Brush inside, outside, and biting surfaces. Always brush away from the gums. See how quickly this gets teeth naturally bright. It removes dull film that improper brushing misses. And Colgate Tooth Powder also sweetens your breath. Try it. Buy Colgate Tooth Powder today. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North. Tune in Tuesday evenings over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. a great part of this day trying to figure out exactly what the uh, endearing quality of Armis Brooks is because I know it is one show in which the heroine is universally loved. I think that I just can't get a handle on it. No, I can't either. I just did the show on the air, you know. thought it was a good show, but I had no idea that it would attach itself to people the way it has. I'm very pleased, but it is astounding because I can't figure it out. Our Miss Brooks remained on radio until the end of the 1953-54 radio season, when many programs were canceled or migrated to TV. In the fall, it was brought back on the air in repeat broadcasts. The television show ran until May 11, 1956. Repeats on radio ran until July of 1957. The cast remained close for years after, including Jeff Chandler, who was taken from the world after a series of accidents and medical malpractice at the young age of 42 in 1961. Chandler's career is covered in episode 90 of Breaking Walls. Gail Gordon remained on TV into the 1990s. I like comedies because I am a great believer in the therapeutic value of laughter. There's so much sadness in this world today, so much horror, so much of the mean and the cruel that I think we need as a nation, we need good, healthy, honest laughter. And when I hear an audience laugh, I get a great physical sigh of relief in my whole soul because it's something that I think is so important and I love to hear it. And when I can get an honest laugh I think that I'm doing my job, at least in my small way. Comedy is the jam and the, the little bit of sauce.
that is put on the viands of life that gives it a little bit of aftertaste and a lovely memory. Dick Crenna was later nominated for several Golden Globes and would become as famous for serious roles as he was for comedy. I remember growing up as a kid, the roundtable reading to me was just the most fascinating part of the process. I was a child, and I'll never forget, I did a show one time with Joan Crawford. And at the round table, I probably was 10 or so, she leaned over to the director and she said, does that child ever talk? <laughs> and the director kind of laughed and he said, oh, she's just a well-trained actress. And Joan Crawford said, oh. But I had been trained. We were lucky to be there, and we better know our skill and our craft and what we were doing or there were other kids waiting in line behind us that would have been very happy to do what we were doing so my mom always reminded me I was really a lucky kid just listen that's what you want to do Gloria you want to listen so I did and on comedy shows like Bob Hope and Red Skelton which I was lucky enough to do the writers and their comments and interaction about what is funny and what is not was to me just fascinating they would spend so much time reading a line and then reading it another way and then taking out a word, can you imagine? Because the punchline would come quicker and it would be funnier. And I can remember that it was like surgery or something. And I thought, isn't that fascinating? They're worried about, you know, one word makes the timing different and the laugh would play in a different way. And so I really had a wonderful education in comedy. In 1974, Gloria McMillan began teaching children with her second husband, Ron Cocking. They opened the Looking Glass Studio for Performing Arts in San Bernardino. The school built confidence and respect, aiding in the development of the child into a total person, rather than just training kids for professional roles. She continued teaching until 2018. The school is now run by her daughter. When the uh, Armis Brooks series ended, then you came back shortly thereafter with the Eve Arden show. Yes, and that, what happened to me there, we made a good pilot, which sold immediately. Then they came to me and said, well, we're on now, but you can't have the same producer, director, or writers when you go back on. I said, how can you do that? They said, oh, we'll put 15 writers on it. Well, you put 15 people in a little screening room and have them look at one thing, and they all come up with a whole, a totally different idea. So it just didn't homogenize, you know. After the Our Miss Brooks TV show ended, Eve Arden was given her own show, which lasted one season in 1957-58. She remained active in film and TV. After Mary Livingston quit the Jack Benny show, Jack considered Eve to replace her. Dear Jack, it was very flattering to me once at a party. He told me that when Mary quit, that for a while he had considered asking me to join him which would have been marvelous, you know. And I oh, was I can, very, I can see you in very happy Benny when he career, said yeah. that. Eve Arden passed away on November 12, 1990, at the age of 82. She's interred at the Westwood Village Park Memorial Cemetery in Westwood, Los Angeles, California. Well, summer vacation has come to an end. In any ordinary year, Miss Brooks and the rest of the teachers would be heading back into the classroom. 
and 2020 thanks to the coronavirus. That remains uncertain. Luckily for two boys from California who are the subject of our next Breaking Walls episode, at-home lessons from Dad were always abundant. Yeah, you were on the way back to Rutgers that time, or are you just... Yeah, we were going down, they had the Centennial down there. It was really pretty interesting. We had a marvelous time. The first time I'd been to Rutgers in about 30 years, and I don't know if you've ever gone back to the scenes of your youth. It's a little difficult sometimes. Somebody once said that you go back to try to recapture the scenes of your youth, and you get back there and you discover that what you're really trying to recapture is your youth itself. If you'd like to make a note of that, Ed, it's a, uh, and uh, if you want to throw it in from time, if the show's bubbling along too fast, you want to slow it down a little. Uh, uh, just, we, could get, uh, we could have a Xerox of that made up and pass. We'll have that Xerox and pass it out as the people leave tonight. Next time on Breaking Walls, we go back to school with Ozzie and Harriet Nelson and find out how a network switch by Jack Benny led to the career birth of two teenage idols, one of whom would transcend music, film, and TV, becoming an American icon. The reading material used in today's episode was On the Air by John Dunning, Network Radio Ratings 1932-53 by Jim Ramsberg, as well as articles from the Archives of Broadcasting magazine, Radio Daily, and Radio Mirror. On the interview front, Eve Arden, Gail Gordon, Jack Haley, and Gloria McMillan were with Chuck Shaden. Hear their full chats at speakingofradio.com. Eve Arden was also with John Dunning on July 25, 1982 for 71KNUS. Mary Jane Croft was with Spurvac on March 14, 1992. For more information, please go to spurvac.com. Shirley Booth was with Dick Cavett in 1971. And Ozzie and Harriet Nelson were on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show on November 18, 1969. Selected music featured in today's episode was It's Been a Long, Long Time by the Harry James Band, Easy Street by June Christie, Living Without You by George Winston, and Hello Mary Lou by Ricky Nelson. Special thanks to our sponsors, the Fireside Mystery Theater, 12 Chimes It's Midnight, and the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society. Find them all on iTunes or at their links in the written credits. Subscribe to Burning Gotham, the new audio drama set in 1835 New York City. It's available everywhere you get your podcast and at burninggotham.com. And if you enjoy these monthly episodes of Breaking Walls, consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash thewallbreakers. It's as little as a buck a month. I'm also looking for ways to improve the Patreon feed. All suggestions are welcome. A special thank you to Ted Davenport and Jerry Haindigas, two radio show collectors who helped supply material for this episode. They're who the large retailers go to. For Ted, go to radiomemories.com. And for Jerry, please visit otrsite.com. Breaking Walls, episode 107, will head back to school with the Nelson family in the spring of 1949. We'll find out how the CBS talent raids led to the birth of David and Ricky's careers. This episode will be available beginning September 1st, 2020, everywhere you get your podcasts and at thewallbreakers.com. In the meantime, give Breaking Walls a quick rating on whatever platform you listen, especially iTunes. You can also join the Breaking Walls Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash thewallbreakers. 
So, until September 1st, 2020, my name is James Scully. This has been Breaking Walls, episode 106. And I'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you very much.